Welcome back to the Sweatin' Bullets Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, DF Encounter. With me, as always, is a bunch of jumbled letters known as Jacob. You can follow him on Twitter at random assortment of letters. Just try the alphabet. I'm sure you'll find him. We have a traded line today, Jacob. Oh, yeah. And after the trade deadline. Uh, awesome. The NFL trade deadline used to suck. Yeah. Like, I remember a time when I was sitting in a lecture hall, and the most exciting thing that happened to me on NFL trade deadline day was like Jay Ajayi going to the Eagles. Uh, <laughs> that was like the most exciting trade deadline trade, I think, of like a few years. And mm-hmm. this week was like the NBA. Um, I know that you don't watch any other sports, and, and in fact, you don't even watch this sport. But for those <laughs> for those that do partake in the basketball sport, uh, they actually usually have a lot of trades on trade deadline day. Uh, hockey also has a lot of trade deadline trades. Uh, they, to, they actually have a program called Trade Center on the sports network. I used to be a hockey fan, and yeah, I'm like watching on Twitter today, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, look at all these trades!" And I'm like, "The NHL used to have like 25 trades on a deadline, like yeah, it was sick. 15 years ago." Like, this isn't really that crazy, but it's crazy because no, no trades ever get made here. But it's so much fun. Like, oh, the that- NBA and NHL trade deadlines are days that I look forward to all year. Oh. Like, I would try to take a day off work to, like, sit I, and watch Trade Center because it was, was so much say, fun. I used to take the trade trade deadline off and stay home and watch <laughs> Trade Center all day. It was glorious. Yeah, and that's what I felt like today. Like, I was sitting in a tax lecture, and I was like, I'm not paying attention to this. Like, I was like, there's too much going on. I mean... Let, where should we start? Which which trade are we going to talk about first? Because for those just coming into the show, we're going to talk about a bunch of things today. We're going to start by talking through all of the major trade deadline trades. We're going to have a discussion here. Uh, we're going to talk about Tony Pollard, of course. We might get to a few other things, um, but we'll see how much time allows for. What trade do you want to talk about first here in the NFL trade? I just want to remind everyone, this is a one-hour podcast this week. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see about that. Although I, I do want to try and make this one hour. I have things to do, but... I think yeah. it's setting – it's one of those things, like, did you ever set an alarm that's, like, a fake alarm? It's, like, if you really need to get up by 7, so you, see like, yeah. set an alarm by, at 6.30? Yeah. Right? Like, basically what I mean is this won't be a two-hour show. Well, right? it might be. Um, so we're going to do one hour. I'm not so going to – Probably an hour and a half. Probably the, an hour and a half. The masses voted, and they voted it's for true. more. We want some more. And that's we respect good. We respect the masses. Listen uh, to the masses. We listen to the masses. Okay, you didn't yeah. answer this. So we're going to start off with the trade that was technically not a trade deadline trade but it was at least trade deadline adjacent uh, as a trade that happened last week. And it was Kadarius Tony, AKA young Joka going to the Kansas city chiefs. Um, and so that of course uh, affects Kadarius Tony that potentially affects uh, sky more AKA sky less. Uh, and uh, also, you know, potentially impacts the rest of the giants. I think that the word they're trying to find is receiving core to describe that collection of bodies. Uh, Let's start with Tony himself, the man that was oh, moved. He gets moved. Let's start with the player most impacted. I want to talk about how this affects Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Uh, so so it moves him from the 102 in Dynasty to the 102 in Dynasty. Next. Yeah. It's completely irrelevant for Patrick Mahomes. Just are you one of those Patrick Mahomes 101 people? Are you like Cooper or, or do you have him as the 102? No. Or the 103? Okay. I think I have him as the 103. I think I'd rather have I, I wouldn't even hate him as the 103. Who, who do you have a 102 then? I have Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I was going to say, I might have Lamar ahead of him. I'm not sure. They'd be, eh, it's a flip a coin. I'll flip take whichever coin. one's left. Exactly, exactly. Um, that so aside, are we going to talk about Young Joka? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so, we should. How so, do you feel? Um, You're well, I mean, it's So it's definitely like an upgrade, obviously. I mean, like he was, two weeks ago, he was faking a hamstring injury um, slash 
having a hamstring injury slash something associated with his hamstring. Uh, he was probably looking into uh, record contracts uh, rather than NFL careers. Um, and basically, Hold he hadn't played the entire year. Time out, because you just said record contracts. And I saw a hilarious tweet, like, must have been around the time of the trade, stating that he has more songs on Spotify than he has receptions in the NFL. And I don't think there's anything more beautiful than that. Good for him. What a chance yeah. for I mean, it's 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 really good that he has a side hustle going on for sure. No, so uh, Kadarius Tony, we know the deal on Tony. Like, he did not play very much in his first year. When he did play, he was earned a million targets. Uh, and he had a couple of games that were really impressive. He's a really great yards after the catch player. There's a lot of questions around his ability to be a real full-time wide receiver and more than just a gadget player. Um, you know, this year, I thought he was a really fun upside bet to make coming into the year. And, you know, he doesn't, he gets immediately injured in training camp, barely plays the first couple of games and then injured once again. So we basically get nothing. Certainly an upgrade. You know, the thing with Kansas City, it's like a weird wide receiver room and that there's a ton of bodies, but none of them are super imposing. So it's, it's something where if someone can rise to the top, you have that opportunity. I mean, I'm buying or I'm selling really depending on what the price is. Like I could see a, a kind of a vast array of how people feel from league to league. If someone wants to offer me like a mid two and I have the opportunity to get out of Tony, who was a mid two in the first place for basically what I paid after two years of mostly doing nothing. Like, I think you just kind of have to take that at this point. Um, that being said, like, I'm not going to sell him for a three, you know, like I think he has uh, a decent degree of upside. He's never been on the field and not gotten a bunch of targets. And he now goes to a really cool offense. So. I'm perplexed as why you would want to trade him for a mid two, because I heard today that the 2023 rookie wide receiver class is mm -hmm. actually weak. That's a good point. So why would you want to trade him for a 2023? three second when you're getting a weak wide receiver that is, that is a good question uh i mean ultimately what really determines the draft class is the quarterbacks and the running backs those are the positions well quarterback really is the position of scarcity running back to some extent is a position of scarcity or at the very least it's a position of perceived scarcity such that the bar for being good and having value and being able to resell them is just way lower than it is a wide receiver so once you get past those running backs, wide receivers, I mean, that was the problem with the 22 class. I liked the 22 class. The problem was that we were taking fucking wide receivers already by the 102 and the 103. Um, you know, in a normal class, you're taking Drake London's and Garrett Wilson's, the 16 and the 17, and then we're feeling great all the way through the rest of the first round, and we're not taking Jahan Dotson's at the 111, right? Um, sure. I think 2023 is going to be lovely because all of the wide receivers that are, you know, as the kids say, mid. Uh, we'll be taking them at the one-two turn. So it's going to be fine because we're going to have a I bunch think, of running backs. I think there's this like cycle that happens every year. And it's like you a year out, there's just rainbows and butterflies everywhere. And you're like, every prospect is going to be amazing. And then in their draft year, people like start nitpicking. And they're like, well, this guy's draftable. Let's watch him. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. He stepped with his left foot. He stepped, <laughs> stepped with his right he caught he, his hands were upside down when he caught that ball. They should have been right ways up, and and they nitpick at these little plays that don't really matter. And then we end up with like this mid-season lull where we're like, ah, I don't know, the class maybe isn't that good. And then the draft approaches and everybody falls back in love. And at the end of the day, like I just, I just want them to produce and get draft capital, and then I'm pretty happy. 
all other things equal, I'm pretty happy. And we always have these guys that crop up at the like in the draft process that we've never even heard of that suddenly are drafted in round two, sometimes even in round one. And I, I just I have a hard time believing that the 2023 class has weak wide receivers. I think they have medium wide receiver in terms of like quality of depth. Quality. Why have you already derailed the show sheet? We were talking about Kadarius Tony. Because you're talking about like, I'm going to trade him for a second, and I was like, ah, like would you? Because this class sucks, and it doesn't. And anyway, so you would, I, so you would trade I, Tony for a mid second. I would happily trade Tony for a mid second. I would, would have you trade Tony for, for a late second. second. Yeah, yeah, I would. Would you trade Tony for an early third? No, absolutely not. Because a late second may not be a late second by the time we get to the end of the season. And a usually we're going to get some good prospects in the middle of a second round in a medium quality class. Right. This is a medium to high quality class across the board, like not just looking at wide receivers. So I'm pretty confident that I'm going to have a very exciting prospect in the middle of the second round. Yeah. And there's a chance that these guys fall to the late second. It happens all the time. And I think there's a chance for this to be like a 2020 style draft where we're drafting guys like T Higgins and Brandon Ayuk in the middle of the second round. Like that would be yeah. like, those were really good. Like mid second round bats and Brandon Higgins, Ayuk. especially, but even like Ayuk and Chenault, like obviously Chenault didn't work out, but like Ayuk and Chenault were like very like reasonable bats to be making. And you could get them at like two, seven, two, eight. And Brandon Ayuk was a nothing at this point in the season. He really didn't like rise until he went to the, uh, what's the senior the bowl? Senior bowl. Senior bowl. What's, what's what, the did, senior you say, did you say what's the senior bowl? Yeah, it is in fact the senior and bowl. He That's left after like one practice because he was like, I'm a first round pick. See you later. And uh, somebody was like, oh, yeah, he's better than Nikhil Harry at this point. And everybody's like, what? And then Nikhil Harry ended up obviously not being good. Yeah. So that was not really – it was kind of a bit of a backhanded compliment. Like, oh, he's better than the worst player we've ever seen. Good, good, good for him. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I, I would trade Tony for a late second. I would still need to. How about a 24 second? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this I asked that because now I'm going to derail the show sheet. This is how these podcasts that start as an hour become not an hour. I have reached the point in time where I'm no longer trading for 23 firsts. And this somewhat applies to second. Now, I'm not saying like I'm not interested. If someone's like, I want to trade you my 23 first, like I'm not turning them away. But they're not the number one target for me anymore. Um, I am pivoting to a part where at this point in time, the only scenario really where I'm likely getting 23 firsts is contenders that have other bad teams as first round picks that want to trade them to me outside of that specific scenario in which I'm still not getting a ton of upside because they're trading that pick with now knowledge. Like now early picks are fully priced as early picks because if someone's like, I'm trading you this pick of a two and six team, they're going to make me pay for it. Like it's sick of a first of a two and six team. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the late first, it's like, that's cool at all. I mean, I still want late first in this 2023 class, but it's it's not as much upside. At this point in time, I'm mostly targeting 24 firsts because they are far cheaper. People are more willing to trade them. And that's where you have the opportunity to buy a first that the guy thinks is late and actually ends up early. Um, that That's where I'm getting more excited. And I would apply some of that same logic to a second. Like, with, oh, yeah. especially the second, especially the second. Because if, you're, second if you're on here. the clock in the late, if you're on the clock in the late first in 2021, it probably still won't be that hard to trade a late first in 2023 for a 24 first and maybe even an extra throw in. Um, it's really hard to do that in seconds. Like people know the difference between the early second and the late second is usually good bets and totally speculative bets. So if you're if someone's like, I'll give you a late, if you, if someone's like, I'll give you my second and their record is like 
six and two or something, I would say I'll take your 24 second. Like I would just rather have the 24 second. So I agree. And yeah, I think one of the easiest, simplest dynasty hacks in all the world is trade for the draft picks the furthest away that you can and just bide your time because those draft picks are going to a end up way higher than the person who traded them was valuing them at and, or B you're just going to sit on them and they're just going to keep accruing value. So it's, it's simple. Uh, so what I'm hearing from you though, is that you're pretty much out on Kadarius Tony. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hold meme. I mean, I have a lot of Kadarius Tony, so maybe I should start actually trying to shop him. I, I decided to take the approach of trying to let people come to me just to see what would happen. I didn't want to be the guy desperately flinging around offers after he got traded to the chiefs. I just think that makes you look kind of like a beta. Um, but <laughs> Uh, so far people have not been knocking down my door for to get my Tonys. So, uh, so we'll see, maybe the offers are coming in, but maybe I'll start sending some out too. I, I think that the main thing, what you can do with a guy like Tony, if you do want to buy, and for the record, I would not be wanting to buy at this point at more than speculative prices. That being said, if he does work out because people won't take my shares, I'll still be victory lapping it. But, um, <laughs> I think what I would probably want to do is like, if you do want Tony, you can't just be like, I'll send you this late too for Tony. Like I would say yes, but in all honesty, if that's what you want to pay that most people might just tell you to fuck off. Um, and especially if you like try and send a third, they're absolutely going to tell you to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would do is like find the Tony manager, figure out a deal entirely separate to Kadarius Tony that you want to work out and go back and forth with them and then be like, okay, would you add Tony to this? And then they might say yes. Um, because they might be like, Oh, this guy that I was like getting ready to cut two weeks ago, I can use him to accomplish a deal that I want. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll be willing to do that. And you might get him in a more cost-effective way than if you just like walk up to the person and be like, hi, I actually want Darius Tony. Knock, knock, knock on the door. Um, that's usually not going to work. And then similarly, I think if you're selling Kadarius Tony and you're not able to just get that round two pick, you know, what might be a more beneficial outcome is you talk larger deal and you're going back and forth and you're like, ah, I can't really give you a two, but I'd give you Tony. And maybe they're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Right. I'll, I'll just sort of describe that value that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, uh, yeah, like I'm basically out on Tony. I, I sure there's an upside there if he ends up hitting because he's playing with Patrick Holmes and there's always upside with Patrick Holmes. But what I really wanted to get out of you was that you're not buying in on Tony, which means that we're leaving a candle on for Sky Moore. Is Just a small candle, a small candle. Would you rather have Tony or Sky straight up in Dynasty? I think that's probably, I would bet the community is pretty 50-50 on this one. I th- oh, no, I think it's, I think the community is going to be Kadarius Tony by a landslide because the Chiefs have indicated that they want Kadarius Tony and they already had Sky Moore and they still felt the need to go and get Kadarius Tony. So I, th- yeah, I got to think that they have their internal preference is Kadarius Tony. I mean, I think Sky, well, so the way I would view it is like, I think that this would be like my favorable uh, view of things for Sky, but I also think that it happens to be a true view of things. I think their view on Sky is like, honestly, I think that we ascribe too much predetermination to teams. Like think about how you view some of your dynasty teams, right? Like, you, you probably view like your starters, your core people this year, and then your bench, you probably don't be like, I have this guy pegged for this role next year. I have this guy pegged for this role. It's like, oh, and then I have a bunch of young guys on my bench and we'll see what hits, right? Like that's how you look at your dynasty teams. That's probably how they look at this wide receiver room now. They look at that's it. That's like, what I think. Right? They look at it and, and they like, they're like, we have Juju for this year. And they're, I don't think they're going to re-sign him because think about what they did this spring, right? They were like, we're going to make a bet 
that we're not going to need Tyreek Hill. He's one of the best wide receivers in the football because we have Reed and we have Mahomes. Our comparative advantage is that we have one of the best offensive schemers in the NFL. We have the best quarterback in the NFL. So we can create efficient offense without having to pay a wide receiver a bunch of money. We're just going to get guys that work in specific roles and we're going to figure it out. And Juju has worked enough for them. They're not going to not give Tyreek Hill $25 million a year just to give Juju $15 million a year. So Mm -hmm. I think that he most likely walks. And then they're looking at like Hardman. He's at the end of his deal. You know, maybe they extend him, maybe not. MVS, he's cuttable after this year. Maybe they retain him, maybe they don't. I think that they're just looking at it and saying, like, we don't know what our wide receivers are next year, but we have Sky Moore. We liked him. You know, m- maybe he's a guy next year. Maybe he's not, uh, which is fair. He's done nothing to prove that he is a guy. And they're like, okay, Tony's an interesting player. Um, we'll give up a third and a sixth for him and we'll see what he can do. Maybe something, maybe nothing. Like, that's what I think. I think they're just looking at these guys and they're like, we'll see what they can contribute. I think this year they're probably mostly going to be Juju and MVS as their their main two. They're going to keep rotating in Hardman. They're going to rotate in Tony. Maybe they'll rotate in Scott. I think he might be healthy and active though because he doesn't provide special teams value anymore. Um, and then and then in 2023, I think it's a different situation. They're just like, well, then we have these other guys. Like that's kind of how I view it. I don't think that they know necessarily who their guys are after this year. Yeah, no, I, I that's exactly my take on it. It's like, hey, you know what? They traded for Kadarius Tony. They probably like Kadarius Tony more today. I think that's fair. I could see Kadarius Tony being active on game day and Sky Moore being inactive on game day. Yeah, he'll definitely be active on game day because he's going to return punts. And then next year, though, who's the better wide receiver? That's what that's what matters. And they'll be competing on the same practice field, and we'll see. And it could be Sky Moore. It could be Kadarius Tony. It could be somebody completely different. They might take a first-round wide receiver next year. They probably should. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so such is life. But Canary's Tony right now on keep trade cut is 34-41, and Sky Moore is 27-38. So Whoa. according to the masses that are voting on these polls, Canary's what's, Tony is smoking. What, what's a mid-two on keep trade cut? Uh, it's like 3,500. So, oh, so he's like right on. Okay. So I, we'll like I'd, like to li- I'd like to liquidate some, some Tonys then. Um, yeah, I would like to do that. And Sky Moore is more like an early third on keep trade cut. So like at an early, I would third, definitely buy Sky Moore for an early third. I was gonna say I'm not selling him for an early third. I'm buying for a third, any third, like this year. Yeah, I mean it, it would still take to me like an early to mid second to to re-roll Sky, which is not being offered outside of probably extreme circumstances. So yeah. at this point, I'm holding Sky, and I'm probably even buying Sky. I I would send a third round pick for Sky Moore in any circumstance. I mean a third round pick, like I'm comfortable spending a third round pick for like a spot start running back. Like if I need to in a certain spot, I'm definitely comfortable rolling the dice with Sky more. So, so like I have this whole um, process you could call it uh, where we don't buy face planners. Right. I normally stick to that process because we can re-roll the face planners at a reasonable loss in value. It's okay mm. to sell in Keel Harry who you took at 102 for a late first. I, I feel like that's a fine trade. We're trading a player that's probably not going to hit for a player that's probably going to hit. By the time we get the third round picks, these players aren't probably going to hit anymore. So to trade Sky, who is probably not going to hit, for another player who is probably not going to hit, doesn't really make sense to me. I'm just going to stick to my priors when they get the third round picks or less and let it ride. And maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. It doesn't matter. I'm probably not getting a worthwhile prospect in the third round anyways. Right. And Rondell Moore is good. So the face planters theory is over now. Rondell Moore isn't he yeah, he was always good, but he's not gonna hit. That's that's the difference. That's true. He's not gonna like, hit, but he's, he's not gonna be he's a top twenty four wide receiver. He's a good wide receiver though, and that's what I was pushing back on this fake face planner thing. Like when you looked at Rondale Moore 
across the face planter spectrum. He was like the best player in every metric I look at. Right. Like, he's, and he's, and he's still, he's still good. He's like out there contributing. He, you can start him in the flex if you need to. It doesn't matter, he's, but if he's, he's on, but if he's on your team, you can start him in the flex anytime you want. Yeah. He, like, like I said, he, he was never I play, I play, I've played him in DFS like every week this year. Like he's, That's he's like, he's a player off the buy list, put him onto the sell list because he's never going to matter. And he's probably not going to hit top 24. And he's probably not going to see a huge value gain at this point. So there's really no reason to go and buy Rondell Moore. But that doesn't oh, make him a bad NFL player. Speaking of that, league next year. That's, like, that's actually a deal that I did do. Well, this was now, unfortunately, before he was traded to the Chiefs. But like three weeks ago, I traded Kadarius Tony for Rondell Moore. Oh, yeah. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. This is like three it's weeks ago. Though. Tony, that, that's a player who's not going to be useful potentially next year. Right. For a player that could be useful next year. Yeah. I mean, that also was a nice short term difference where I was like, I thought it was kind of a toss up, but it, I just had a lot of buys that week. And I was like, if I don't start Rondell, I'm starting KJ Hamler. So I kind of looked at it. I was like, well, you know, it's kind of the same, but in one scenario B, I don't have to start KJ Hamler. So, um, yeah. Uh, speaking of of face planter or bulletproof players, rip KJ Hamler. Does this have any impact on it on Wandale or Juju anybody else? I don't really think that it does because like th- there was no other Giants wide receivers anyway. So I don't think that like Wandale's problem was target competition. No. Um, like whatever he had a, he had a really strong first game in a limited uh, role. He had a really strong second game in a larger role. He didn't really do anything this game, but I don't know. That's it's rookies. They have and flow. I, I think still still a strong start overall for Wandale. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like this doesn't change anything on Wandale. I completely agree with you. There was, we, when we were looking at Wandale and thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder if Wandale is going to be good. It wasn't, oh my gosh, I hope that he doesn't get alphaed by Kadarius Tony. Like that wasn't the narrative at all. Right. And therefore him leaving is still like, man, who cares? That was a player that wasn't going to have a material impact on Wandale's success. Right. And then none of the other wide receivers are good enough for it to matter that Kadarius Tony is leaving. So it doesn't matter. Um, Slayton and Galladay, all these guys are total bums. Um, And then I guess the other one is Juju. I mean, I don't think it impacts Juju a whole ton the rest of the season, but I think that it does decrease the chances that he resigns, which I guess is bad for his dynasty value because he's already in the best place he could possibly be in. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I, I think it was the Patreon and the discord maybe. Uh, for, for those that are listening for the first time, it's patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. If you would like to sign up and join the discord, get the rankings, so on and so forth. Anyways, talking about Juju, I can't remember where it was. And we were talking about, oh, I think it was in my thread when I was going through my like a list buys coming into the season. I was like, right. yeah, this one kind of worked out. Like he's scoring about 14 or 13 points per game. It's like, man, whatever. And he wasn't really all that expensive. So I guess it's fine, but I'm just out now. Like, I, I felt like there was a chance that he was actually greater than a 20% target share player because he was playing with Chase Claypool and he's playing with Deontay. Mm-hmm. And before Claypool got there, uh, Juju was playing injured. And I was like, yeah, there's a chance. Now he's playing with MBS and Michael Hardman and he's still a 20% target share player. He is what he is. He's, he's only ever going to have a starter-esque existence yeah. in the best offenses in the world. And if it's not this one, I don't know which one he's going to end up in. So... He's probably toast after this point. Yeah, he, he was a rare guy where I was like okay with him at cost in Dynasty. I wasn't really targeting him that much in Dynasty. I was really into him in redraft and best ball um, mm-hmm. just because I thought he was so speculative. Uh, and he's been fine. He hasn't been like a great pick. He hasn't been a terrible pick in, in those formats. Yeah. He's been fine. Uh, and, and and definitely, yeah, in Dynasty, I think I think this is probably I think this is probably the best year of the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah. I, like he's not going to have more than a twenty percent target share, and he's probably not going to be in a better situation. So this is right. this is peak juju. And it's and it's never a twenty percent target share that's downfield. It's like a twenty percent target yeah. share plus a twenty percent air yard share. Like that's just who yeah. he is. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay so let's talk about the next one. Let's talk about TJ Block and some. Um, so uh, that's that's my that's my nickname for him. It's it's honestly not even like that good of a nickname or like that accurate of a nickname because he actually does run a pretty high row participation. But I just really enjoy the name because he's just so mediocre. Well. But, Here's the thing. You have a bad nickname for TJ Hawkinson, and you also have a bad Twitter handle, so maybe you should stop giving nicknames. No, TJ Blockinson is a good nickname. <laughs> oh, it isn't. Yeah, it it's is. It's awful. It's no, really it good. It doesn't make sense. He's running all the routes. What are you talking about? Well, otherwise, it'd be is TJ that ironic Block and nickname? Lot. You'd be TJ Block and Lot. Instead, it's just TJ Block and Sum. <laughs> Block and Sum, okay. All right, what do you think? I, I like, don't care about TJ Hawkinson. I could care less about TJ Hawkinson. A, There's no good reason to value TJ Hawkinson in Dynasty above Greg Dulcich. Above who? Greg Dulcich, who's a top six tight end in Dynasty. Never heard of him. Uh, all right. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. Can, 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 can we victory lap that, by the way? We stood here a month ago before you'd ever played an NFL game. And you you said you would, that you'd rather have Jelani Jelani Woods over Greg Dulcich in Dynasty. And through three games, uh, Greg Dulcich has completely balled out and is now a top five dynasty tight end. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Jelani Jelani Woods has three touchdowns and Dulcich doesn't. So I win. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's certainly way to go. But no, TJ Hawkinson in mini, I, I don't know. He's just, he's, he's not, he doesn't matter. Like very few tight ends matter. TJ Hawkinson is one of the better of the tight ends that doesn't matter, but he still does not matter. Like he's a catch and fall down tight end. He's not dynamic. And the only way that that kind of tight end matters is if you're Zach Ertz on the Eagles and you're able to get like a 28% target share. He's never going to get that. First of all, because he couldn't get that when there was literally nobody around him because he's not that good. Uh, and then now there's the best wide receiver in the NFL, or at least one of the three or four best wide receivers in the NFL around him. Adam Thielen is also there for at least this year, and who knows how much longer he'll keep doing his thing. But for now, at least, he's probably a better target earner than TJ Block and some. Um, and yeah, he's he's like, he's the rich man's Tyler Higby, I guess. Um, you know, you if, know I had, if, if I had TJ Hawkinson, what I would do right now is I would, I would trade him for... Uh, Greg Dulcich straight up. I would trade him for David and Joku straight up. You wouldn't like, you don't have to stop that. You're way overpaying for those guys. No, you do have to. I, I actually sent out Darren Waller for Greg Dulcich straight in like a handful of leagues. And I was declined in every single opportunity. You're an absolute maniac. And then I cannot believe that you would do that to Darren Waller. I mean, Greg Dulcich is like, this isn't the Greg Dulcich section. But we're talking about a guy who is 18 yards per reception in college. He's an offline, downfield, tight end option. He has a similar athletic profile to Mark Andrews. He had a similar deployment profile to Mark Andrews. He had the same draft capital as Mark Andrews. We have a guy now here who comes into the league, similar to Mark Andrews, immediately starts producing, immediately starts producing efficiently, immediately starts producing in a downfield way. I mean, this could be the next superstar tight end. You need to get in on this. You need to get in on Greg Dulcich. You need to get Greg Dulcich on every one of your dynasty teams. This is a potential difference-making asset. Uh, okay. We'll buy some Greg Dulcich. Yeah, he's actually TJ Hawkinson. He, he's actually really not that expensive. He's like a late second on keep trade cut, and keep trade cut is a hype machine, and he is hyped. So you are probably getting him at some pretty fair prices, and I think that's fine. I mean, anyway, TJ Hawkinson. I, w- I was going to give you the absolute perfect player to of what to expect when expecting oh, TJ Hawkinson. Is it Tyler Higby? 
No, it's not. It's not Tyler Hibby. Tyler Hibby is not the same thing at all. What we were looking at is a player who popped as a rookie, did impressive things, and then did oh. impressive things again, and then did impressive things again, and but never actually put it to all together. And just like kind of had like a 10 to 12 point. Oh, it's Hunter Henry. It's Hunter Henry. That's exactly yeah. who he is. He's just yeah. a guy who's going to catch like, I don't know, 18, 20% target shares. Yeah. And he's going to get, you know, 10 to 12 points per season. Like TJ Hawkinson right now is tight end four, I think, in, in, uh, yeah. Because he had like one 40 point game. Yeah. Dude's a stud. He's got gray hair. He's looking like a Viking. He's playing <laughs> for the Vikings. It's all making sense. I really have no interest in rostering TJ Hawkinson at this point. Uh, yeah. If you can get out of TJ Hawkinson for anything that has even a remotely interesting ceiling, I think you simply have to do it. Yeah, He's- I mean, sorry for derailing the thing with the Dulcich, but like you, you couldn't, you couldn't be more correct in that. In that, like, if you don't have a tight end who matters, you certain the worst thing you can do is roster the most expensive tight end who doesn't matter. Yeah, you should be able to take your TJ Hawkinson and go and get Jelani, Jelani Walker, plus a whole bunch more, and just hope that. Perfect and Raz score m- manifests itself in more than just three touchdowns in like four games. So, like, just go get Jelani Walker, go get Greg Dolchich, and uh, and it's gonna be great. We're gonna win championships, or or we're not, and we're gonna just trade them in two years when they don't emerge. And it's yeah, fine. and then. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely not interested in TJ Hawkinson. Uh, James Mitchell, I'm very interested in. Uh, James Mitchell. Before you get into James Mitchell, I need to I need you to know that he's actually not number two on the depth chart. Right. It's, it's number, it's number two on the depth right. chart is block a guy right. who I never heard of. I didn't go look him up, and I spend <laughs> countless hours looking up players to have never heard of Brock Wright before. Block Wright. Block, block, block Wright. Yes, of course. The guy literally had like six perceptions his entire college career. Why? Why is he ahead of James Mitchell on the Lions depth chart? And also, is he actually? And also, I don't care because I don't want him. And nobody should ever want it. That would be like speculating on Drew Sample. Like, yeah. That would be like the Shout worst out, thing you could do. Right. Jonathan Scott Connor is like the only person who just won't let Drew Sample die. Um, <laughs> so, like, what? Scott Connor likes Drew Sample? Yeah, he's a Drew Sample truther. It's because he's a Bengals fan. Yeah, and he likes his Raz score. He's like really into Drew Sample. He Does he have a high Raz score Drew Sample? I, I mean, I think so. I don't think so. True sample oh, size. He's he's no Jelani Jelani Walker. No, nobody is. Uh, neither is James Mitchell. Nobody is. That's actually true. That was actually true. He don't. Nobody is Jelani Jelani Walker. He is a <laughs> u- unicorn of the position. That's true. That you somehow hate. Yeah, he sucks. Um, so another tight end that's better than than Jelani Woods in this draft class was James Mitchell. Oh yeah, did I call him Jelani Walker? That was embarrassing. Jelani yeah, Woods. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So James Mitchell. Uh, in his second and third years, he was immediately injured and he barely played in his entire fourth year. So that's why his fourth year stats basically don't exist uh, because he was immediately hurt. I know this because he was on my college fantasy teams and it was painful. Um, his profile basically is in, it's it's worse, but his production profile is in the same bucket generally uh, over his first couple of years as Greg Dulcich, Trey McBride, Isaiah Likely. Uh, he's in that crew. He is producing above thresholds. He got up over 1.5 yards per team pass attempt in his third year before he ultimately succumbs to injury in his fourth year. What's especially interesting about him is when you look at yards per reception, he was one of the downfield tight ends. He was not just a guy who's running little stick routes. He's a guy that's actually running seam routes. It's actually able to be deployed dynamically. The only tight ends in this class who 
produced multiple seasons above 15 yards per reception were James Mitchell, Greg Dulcich, Isaiah Likely. These are the types of tight ends that we want to be targeting. These are the tight ends that have the ability to do more than catch and fall down. These are the tight ends that can get open in the scene. These are the tight ends that get deployed off the line of scrimmage, out into the slot. I really like James Mitchell's profile. His athletic profile is total trash, and he didn't play his fourth year, and his draft capital is trash as a result of those two things. But in terms of what he's actually been able to do on the football field, it's interesting. It's a lot more interesting than anything Brock Wright has done. And so if you're making a speculative ad, definitely make a speculative ad on James Mitchell, especially in a dynasty format, not on Brock Wright. What say you? Uh, Yeah, I just checked out James Mitchell one more time in my database uh, for my prospecting of tight ends. And I think that targeting anyone other than James Mitchell would be a tremendous error in judgment and just go get James Mitchell. I, oh, like, honestly, like I would make him kind of a priority ad. Yeah. I'm like he's spending really pretty real fab on James. Mitchell. And he's like, he's, if he was not a like terrible prospect, he would have been an awesome prospect. Like if he got draft capital, he'd have been a really good right. prospect. Like, like it realistically. And the thing is too, like what I kind of like about it, like once we know that a guy does not get draft capital, in terms of like reasons why they didn't get draft capital, like getting injured in your first game of your last season and missing the whole year is like one of my preferred reasons, right? Like, like it's like it's easy enough to tell yourself a story of like, oh, if he like plays his fourth year, maybe he gets drafted higher. I mean, the other reason he doesn't get drafted higher, he runs a four seven seven. Um, that's bad. But it's not the like the thing is like so I don't think Greg, I don't think that uh, James Mitchell probably has like a super elite ceiling because he's really slow. But I mean, if you get James Mitchell off waivers. And he's like a legitimate, like low end tight end one, then that's like a massive win. Yeah, no, I like he, he doesn't have to be great. He's so free that all we're looking for is a value gain. And if he's going to be the starting tight end for the Detroit Lions and their high powered offense with uh, Jared Goff under center, like he's not going to have to do a lot to turn a little tidy profit. And you can get out of him and go and get yourself a Jelani Jelani Woods. And a potential true difference maker that could absolutely wreck the league, a la like a Jimmy Graham or who else, who are the other like super premium high Raz players that are tight ends? Do you remember? There's lots. I'm not sure. I, I've always been a little bit more on the production side for tight ends than most people. You should. Like, I, I care like, about Raz, but really I care about Raz. But I I care about Raz. But like what I'm really trying to look at is like. How are, how are tight ends getting deployed? What are they producing? And specifically, how are they producing? Like, are they getting deployed off the line of scrimmage? Are they getting seam routes? Are they being used in yards after catch situations? Like, that's usually what I'm looking for more in tight ends. That's why Greg yeah. Dulcich was my number one priority tight end in this draft class. And he's the best tight end in this draft class, it turns out. So, Yeah, no, I'm looking at it, and it's like Kyle Pitts is pretty up there, 9.6. Yeah. Noah Fant, I imagine, is up there. Noah Vernon Fant, Davis, for sure. Vernon Davis, Mike Gesicki, I bet, is pretty high. Uh, Gesicki, yeah, 9.98. Jordan Cameron, who had a pretty productive uh, day three career uh, with, well, not super productive. I think he only had like one good season, but I think he got hurt, and that rendered his career. Is Ger- Gerald Everett, is he up there somewhere? He's surprisingly not, but this is he's small. Oh, okay. He's only like 6'3 or 6'2 or something. Oh, I see. Yeah. He's pretty athletic, but it just didn't come with the type of uh, size that pops in the tight end Raz right. spectrum. Like even Evan Ingram, who is like an absolute freak, is only a 9.16 in Raz. Oh, okay. Because he's yeah. only 6'3, 234. Right. Like I mean, he needs Evan Ingram's bigger. really a slot rider receiver. He's like smaller than Chase Claypool. Like Dalton Keene, one of the best <laughs> tight end prospects we've ever seen. 9.34, dude's a stud. Can't believe it didn't work out. Still shocked. Thanks, thanks for nothing, Bill. 
For those that don't know, Dalton Keene is the worst tight end prospect <laughs> ever seen that qualified for the bulletproof distinction because Bill Belichick decided to take him three rounds ahead of his expected draft capital, launching him into a bulletproof – just like, come on, Bill. Don't do this to me. Anyways, the point of the, the moral of the story is that Jelani Woods is one of a kind, and you should have him as well as Greg Dulcich and uh, yeah, like all these like guys, whatever. They're like they're just so free. Like this is why I don't. I I I I feel like I made a tremendous error in rookie drafts this year when I ranked the tight ends like in the mid second. And looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? That was yeah. So I told I, I told you that that was a mistake. Yes. Yeah. Was, and I I, I caught up. I literally the, like honestly progression. I, I honestly think like this is this problem. Pro, it's kind of sad because like I obviously like massive L on taking Sky more over Chris Lave, but I'm praying that Greg Dulcich really does turn out because like I would say my best take of draft season was absolutely ignore uh jelani woods only take trey mcbride at adp the only tight end i care about at cost in this class is greg dulcich um because man he's good jelani woods wasn't ranked high was he in ranked too high for me he was ranked ahead of greg dulcich he must have been in like round three or four yeah he was going around three i was taking brian robinson romeo dubs greg dulcich oh yeah Anyways, the moral right, story is moral story is we don't really care about TJ Hawkinson and we want to add James Mitchell off waivers. Yeah, we talked about James Mitchell for entirely too long. So no, let's move on. Okay, um to Buffalo. Okay, now we're gonna talk really quickly. This time we're actually gonna talk really quickly about a bunch of running backs that don't really matter. Pick <laughs> pick one that you have a take on. Hines goes to the Buffalo Bills, Zach Moss goes to the Indianapolis Colts, Chase Edmonds to the Denver Broncos, Jeff Wilson Jr. to the Miami Dolphins. Pick any one of those four that you care about in the slightest. I'm going to pick one of those four that are not in one of those four, and I want to talk about James Cook. <laughs> yeah. there you go. He literally got tanked already. We're halfway through his rookie year, and they're, tra- they're trading, trading real assets to go and get a freaking running back to replace this guy six weeks into his rookie year, eight weeks into his rookie year. How many weeks are we in? Week eight? Week eight. It's pretty that's, embarrassing. That's, that's – so bad, and you took him in the first round of dynasty in, drafts. In, in a handful of dynasty leagues, people traded their 23 first round pick to go into the 22 first at the late first to get James Cook. People were I like, I will forego the 23 first round to get James Cook now. I need James Cook now. I need James Cook. <laughs> I can't wait to see what people are going to pay for Naheem Hines now oh, that he's in this high powered offense. James Cook went at the 103 in my home dynasty draft. He went at 104 in mine. <laughs> Because my, my home dynasty league doesn't draft until like August, oh, so same like, as ours. Yeah. Like I used same to think that you can make so much money on drafting in May because like only the sharps know what's going on. No, August is where you want to be. <laughs> August is way better because only the sharps know what's going on, and you get these right. fucking ADPs that are just outrageously bad. Yeah, I mean, because Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase was at the one oh nine in our home league rookie draft last year because it was the end of August and he couldn't catch a ball, so one oh nine. But Jim Cook went at the one oh three this year. Uh, oh, yeah. J- James Cook is like dead before he even lived, which is pretty wild. Um, it's honestly like I feel bad for him because they literally drafted another running back who plays the exact same or 
traded for another running back that plays the exact same role that he does and they never even gave him a chance to fail in that role like it wasn't like they gave him a chance to be their passing down back and he was bad they just they just i guess saw him in practice they're like nah wave like they just nah waved james cook entirely <laughs> and they went out and got nine lines it's also i will say like it is just super strange what is the Bills' obsession with finding a dump-off repository? Like, it's not that important of a position. Like, I promise you, it's really cool when you have an actual running back who also catches passes really well, because that creates, like, versatility. That's also for an offense. You know what's, like, a position that does not matter? is like the situational passing satellite back. It's not an important position. Honestly, I, I think if anything, it's like bad that NFL teams even use them because it just telegraphs the place of their team. I would rather play a less good pass catching back on pass downs because it potentially tells the other team we might run the ball. So I think they're still better to use not that guy. They are freely available. I mean, you could assign Dontrell Hilliard for nothing. They already have Duke Johnson. Literally, what is the difference between any of these guys and Duke Johnson? Like, he's on their practice squad, just chilling. He's the same guy as these people. But yet, they, like, were so set on this. Like, they they want, they want to sign J.D. McKissick to, like, real money. Um, and then J.D. McKissick, like, Washington was, like, so scared of losing fucking J.D. McKissick that they are like, you have to come back, so we'll make you a third spring running back by week eight. Um... And then Buffalo was like, oh no, we lost JD McKissick. We lost this converted wide receiver from Arkansas State who's never done anything to contribute to offensive success. We must now spend a round two pick on James Cook, who probably they could have drafted in round four. And they were like, we have to get this guy because our offense just cannot function. Our best offense in the league cannot function without a piece that we've never had. We've never thrown to running backs, but our offense simply can't function if we can't dump off to some loser running back with 190 pounds on third down. How will we function? And then they finally got this guy. And then summer, they were like, no, we're, we're not going to use him. We're going to use Zach Moss. And then they found out what they found out every year, which is that they try to use Zach Moss. And I'm like, oh, man, Zach Moss, he sucks. And it's like, yeah, you, you knew that the other years that you tried to use Zach Moss, who always sucked. And then they finally used James Cook this week against Green Bay. And he was, like, good. He, like, caught a ball, like, 40 yards down the field. And he, like, made people miss. And they are like, no, we can't do it. This guy might be a real running back. Potentially. We need nine minds. <laughs> we need to get this guy. It is insane i don't understand like the bills are such a smart organization and they have an absolute complex with these satellite backs it's wild can i can i be honest uh something that we didn't put on this show sheet that uh is like the most impactful of all of these these running back moves is free jonathan taylor man like, yeah that's a two-minute drill now. 15% target share just freed up out of that backfield. Like, right. Jonathan Taylor is probably going to play in all downs uh, with no breathers at this point. And, and like, he no longer has to lead block on their on their uh, wildcat goal line plays. I mean, well, hey, you know what? It could be Zach Moss's role. Maybe this trade <laughs> was actually orchestrated by the Colts. They're like, hey, Naheem, you're nothing. Zach Moss, though. No, Naheem Mines asked to be traded. Come on in, Zach. Let's go. And they're going to... Heinz, uh, Heinz asked out and the Colts obliged. What's that? Heinz asked uh, out of the organization. And the yeah, I'd ask out too. They're putting, they're giving all the carries to this non-generational running back when they have <laughs> yeah. Naheem Hines. Like, seriously, like the, the ceiling that we were always like, ah, I don't know if it's ever going to happen for Jonathan Taylor. Like, it could happen now. Like, there's a, yes. a predictable path here where he's Joe Mixon, but good. And that's yeah, really yeah. exciting. Right. Well, and he's Joe Mixon, but playing on pass downs, right? Like there's no Samaj AP yeah. run. Yeah. 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 
Because Samaj P. Run plays all the same situations Naeem Hines does. It's just that he's so bad that we don't actually know that he plays. Like, you have to watch the games to see that Samaj P. Run's on the field because they never feature him. Um, but he is on the field. Uh, he's like Ezekiel Elliott pre Tony Pollard. Yeah. I mean, Taylor could play. Taylor might play like 95% snap rate. Yeah. It's that's, that's like, play. It's like, pretty awesome. People are down on Jonathan Taylor right now. I actually just traded one of my uh, Jamar Chases, which was like the best mm-hmm. pick I've ever made. Uh, and I got Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. in that trade. So I just went all in on the Colts offense because, of course, yeah, I did. They you got it. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. And I got Jonathan Taylor, my like one Jonathan Taylor copy in all of the land. And now I'm excited because they just increased the ceiling exponentially by shipping Naheem Hines off to Buffalo where Jonathan – like the – the thing that really bothers me about this and like the Buffalo Bills obsession with their third down pass catching back <laughs> is they have freaking Jonathan Taylor, man. Or the, not Jonathan Taylor. They got Josh Allen. Right. They got jo- Josh Allen's not going to throw. If you are taking Josh Allen, or should he? Your third down running back at zero dot, you're an idiot. Don't do that. But I mean, it's like the things that Josh Allen does well throwing downfield bombs to Gabe Davis. Throwing everywhere on the field to Stefan Diggs, throwing exclusively touchdowns to Dawson Knox, running dudes over on third down when nothing's there. Like when nothing's there, the check down for Josh Allen is not, I'm gonna throw it to my puny little running back. It's oh yeah, I'm a literal buffalo and I will stampede over linebackers <laughs> and convert first downs myself. Well, it's so good. silly. I never heard yeah. I've never heard him be called a buffalo before. And I, he, I he runs like way. an actual buffalo. Like he's yeah, just, just a giant people. monster who runs over people. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh so silly from the Bills. I mean, whatever. It's a six round pick, so I, I shouldn't yeah. like beak them too much. But it, it is like legitimately funny that, that James Cook is just over. Uh wh- what would be the most you would spend for James Cook? Like I'm I'm so I will I will say this. James Cook is probably super dead for life, but he is technically a rookie. Uh, second round pick playing on the bills and like even if he's never anything that still has like some sort of latent market excitement to it i think that like may reappear one day i don't know i'm gonna sell my you know benjamins for james cook that's what i'm gonna try so like what is, what does that equal in draft picks are you, are you giving a third know. for this no i'm giving draft? i'm not giving up a third i'm giving up you know no, i'm not giving up a third. i'm gonna take my third round pick i'm gonna draft a day three running back next year and next year's draft yes. it's gonna have a better shot of producing than james cook Yes, I'm not I will. Third. I'm not moving my thirds. I would move like if I have if I've like I move a clinched, if I like would if I've like clinched a buy and my third is like going to be at the absolute earliest three nine, I will move that third for James Cook. Maybe, okay, but probably not. Maybe because I could just draft. I because I mean I was drafting Greg Dulcich there, and he's a lot better than James Cook. Yeah. So I feel like we often get players that are like not like good fantasy producers, but like. They get some hype, and you can cash them out for a second. Right. I mean, look at the look at the third round this year. Like, so like uh, you could have easily cashed out, um, or at least in some leagues, like Brian Robinson rose to round two pick value. Romeo Dubs rose to round two pick value. Greg Dulcich is now round two pick value. Um, Tyler Algier, I don't know where he's at, but he might be round two pick value, or at least like close ish. Maybe at the the very least, you could do like Algier plus a three, four, two, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's just there's better bets in the universe than James Cook. I mean, fuck. People, people got excited about Zamir White for a week solely because the real player on the team played in the Hall of Fame game. People were, were trading second-round picks for Zamir White. He's like the worst running back prospect ever. Yeah, it's a wild world out there. Okay, the other guys, Edmonds to Denver, are you doing any of that? I have no interest in anyone involved. I mean, in it, it yeah. makes Latavius and Melvin Gordon even more useless, I guess, because it's just going to probably be a three-way committee now. And just I don't even want to talk about it. It's such a terrible nothingness of nothing. 
it's just it's so like we lost the fact, that, the fact that we lost Javante Williams and and then this is what we get sad yeah well, but Wilson to Miami he's reunited with uh, Mike uh, Mike McDaniel Mike McDaniel, McDaniel. yeah and I, what's more important about this is that I called it and in fact I I am I have been so <laughs> what's in tune more, what's most important about this is my enormous victory lap that doesn't matter go for it well I've just been so in tune with Mike McDaniel it's actually hilarious like I put out a tweet or in like February, I was like running backs. I expect Miami to sign for their outside zone scheme. And the first two names that I listed were Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. And I was like, Oh wow. Like good job, Jacob. And then as soon as this deal happened, I was in a group chat with a bunch of my friends who played dynasty. And they were like, Oh, this means Miami is going to get hunt. Like when they sent out Edmonds and I was like, no, they're going to get Jeff Wilson. Um, and then immediately it happened. And I was like, yes. And then I don't know. He's probably going to be fine. Mostert has, has like been better than Edmonds, which is to say he's the better than the worst running back in the league this year. Um, there was this poll or uh, not poll. There was a chart that Ben B Baldwin, the RBS yeah, yeah, yeah. guy posted that had rush yards over expectation charted on one side and then like expected rush yards on the other side. So uh, it was like the people with like the highest like expected rush yards, highest rush yards over expectation, whatever. And Edmonds, like, I didn't even know that he was on the chart. He was, like, so far to the right where he had the highest expected rush yards per carry in the NFL and then the lowest rush yards over expectation, like, the most rush yards under expectation in the league. So he had the most expected of him, and he was accomplishing the least on his expectations. Um, I mean, like, I've kind of liked Chase Edmonds in the past. He's never been this bad. This is, like, actually crazy. But uh, he's super dead. And the point is that Mostert, I don't think, was actually so good that he outplayed him. It was just that Edmonds, like, played himself off the field. Uh, And so, I don't know. Wilson's been better than Mostert this year by most advanced metrics. I think Mostert's still the guy that you'd prefer. But he also, like, breaks in half pretty easily. So, I don't know. Jeff Wilson's kind of fun. Yeah, he's he's, – He's maybe an RB2, and that could be fine, I guess. You could play him in your RB2 slot if you were, say, like a rebuilding team that didn't want to win. That'd be a perfect perfect thing to do. He's another. He's like a zero RB guy. We can add him to the pile. He's a zero RB guy that is not going to matter, and I just have no interest in Jeff Wilson at all. It, like If you could trade Jeff Wilson for like a Wilson and a third for a second, I would slam it. Of course. I would just trade Wilson for a third. Yeah, I would take a third for him. You're gone. Yeah. You've disappeared. The best days are spent, is what I've just learned. Those that are listening to the podcast right now, Jacob has disappeared. He has reappeared like a magician. He is Houdini. Okay. Yeah, my, my computer was about to die, so I had to take my camera off and plug in my charge cord. Uh, but now I'm now I'm back. Um, yeah, Jeff Wilson, That's we don't care. you made there gambling with the life of your computer in the midst of the podcast. I love it. Let's talk about another gambler, Calvin Ridley off to Jacksonville <laughs> to play. That was good. That was good. That was good. I didn't, you're not usually that good. That was good. I, I was on the fly. I was feeling it. Let's go. Another gambler. That's good. Yeah. Calvin Ridley. Um, I don't know. I have like a less interesting take here. Calvin Ridley is good. Calvin Ridley will play next year. That makes him a buy, but you probably can't buy as low as you could have before. Um, yeah, I think the most important thing is how you approach it. I wouldn't like offer for Calvin Ridley today, probably, because people are excited. I would let it simmer for a couple weeks, and then I would go to the contenders in your league that have Calvin Ridley, and whatever their need is in a couple weeks, I would offer them something to fill that need. And then instead of like a second-round pick, you should ask for Calvin Ridley as the compensation. Exactly. 
That's exactly it. Calvin Ridley you want on your team, but it's not urgent. And you're right now is the worst time to buy because there's news on him. You need to buy him when there's no news. And I, am, I do want to buy Trevor Lawrence though, because he's coming off this horrendous performance. I think Trevor Lawrence has had an underrated rookie seat or underrated year two in that he's been one of the best 10 quarterbacks between the twenties. And he's been like the worst in the red zone. And to me, that spells flukiness and that spells like it's probably going to regress where he's probably going to be a little bit worse between the twenties and a lot better in the red zone. Um, and so I, I would expect that, you know, as he, as like fortune just sort of works its way out in terms of what ha- is happening in the red zone. I mean, he's a guy that has at least the opportunity to accrue a ton of value, but I view him almost like a Kenneth Walker in the sense that I'm pretty confident that he's good. Um, I think that ultimately he doesn't run enough for me to want to hold super long on him, but like, look at where, Herbert and Burrow and even Tua now get value. Like I think Lawrence is a safe bet where at some point things are going to be breaking well for him and he's going to get into that tier of quarterback. And so I don't mind storing value in him now. I'm, I'm trying to buy Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and I mean, all of a sudden, pretty good group of skill players. Calvin yeah. Ridley, Christian Kirk, uh, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne. That's fun. Just quickly off topic to uh, really uh, say sorry to Matt. Sorry, Matt. Hashtag sorry, Matt. Yeah, I tweeted something today that was like, like literally my most popular tweet in months. I can do these like threads that are like jam packed with things that actually impact whether or not you win your fantasy football league, or I can just tweet out literally the players on a team and get like five hundred. <laughs> Jack Cavanaugh. What a useless tweet this is. Why is anybody liking it? It was just like, <laughs> humorous to me that this was actually the Jags supporting cat or skill position players. And people just like ate it. It's 559 likes, and I posted it, posted it eight hours ago. And I don't think I've ever posted anything that got 559 likes. Twitter, do better. That is completely useless, and it deserves no likes. Um, it's not even funny. Like, there's really no point to this. I, I tweeted their depth chart, people. It's useless. Anyways, let's move on. Sorry, Matt. Quick side tangent. Made me laugh. Something that makes me laugh every single day is that Chase Claypool is the number three wide receiver in the world, per him. Uh, this is a consensus opinion, per him. And he got traded for a second-round pick, which is yeah. pretty steep compensation, even when considering top three wide receivers in the world. If you were to compare well, him that's, to... Well, that's what DeAndre Hopkins got traded for, and he's yeah. one of the top three wide receivers. Amari Cooper, total scrub, went for a fifth-round pick, not so three that, four That trade pick. looks just so epically hilarious every oh, single day. what an awful... Dallas, you are an embarrassment to the world, and I hate you on a daily basis. I mean, I'll say this, though. Like, like, also awful on the teams, right? Like, like on also... Team. Well, like, every, te- every team that isn't the Browns that could have offered oh. a fourth round pick to get Amari Cooper. Like yeah. it's also bad on them, right? Like hey, presumably. Chicago, why didn't you offer them a fourth? <laughs> right. Why did you so, wait six months to go and pay a second for Chase freaking Claypool? Yes. And yes, I get the cap thing. Like I, I actually do. I'm not trying to be intentionally obtuse. I understand that Amari Cooper had a cap hit. Cal- Calvin Ridley is also going to have a cap hit. Um, he's going to be going into his fifth year option and then he's going to have to get paid. Right. So that's, he just got a second round pick. Like, Jacksonville could have just gotten Amari Cooper. They had a bunch of money to spend. They spent it on an off-ball linebacker, and they spent it on Christian Kirk, who's, like, I guess Kirk, I don't know. Is he worse than Amari Cooper? I think, like, in an NFL sense, he is. They're kind of similar in fantasy. Um, There were teams with cap space. The Indianapolis Colts definitely had the cap room that they could have gone and gotten Amari Cooper. uh, So they would have had an actual second NFL wide receiver on their team that isn't fucking Paris Campbell. Um, Dude's a stud. He's a rookie. Let's go. 
Yeah. You know, putting up some nice George Pickens ask per route numbers. So, you know, just a couple of the same player, you know, being subtly. But um, here's the thing. Alec Pierce didn't have to deal with Chase Claypool, the top three wide receiver in the world. So yeah. Anyway, every single every single trade that comes out does make the Amari Cooper trade look more and more ridiculous. And like, I've never even been a big Amari Cooper fan. Um, but like, he's he's he he got so underrated. And honestly, he got like underrated in fantasy because he was traded for so little. Is my take? Like, oh, this yeah. this is the first year ever that Amari Cooper was underrated in fantasy, which is I have wild. never. Well, I shouldn't say never. I really liked Amari Cooper, the like prospect. Oh, so good. The First year, amazing thousand awesome. yards as a rookie. Dude's awesome. a stud, fourth overall pick. The sky's the limit. He's like and then the TJ just, Hawkinson oh, of wide receivers, actually. Then he just stayed the exact same forever. <laughs> and yeah. and he's still basically the exact same, but the price went from like way up here. I don't know if you can see right. to like here. And <laughs> that matters. That, yeah. That's one of the things that really frustrates me. And maybe we'll talk about this later. But like when people are looking at takes and they're like, oh yeah, you know, you got that wrong. And it's like, well, I mean, that was within the context of where that player was being drafted. I didn't like that player if they were drafted three rounds later. Right. I really like that player if they're drafted three rounds later. That's one that made sense. Anyways, we're off topic. Claypool, okay, no, actually, let's get back on Dallas for a second because I just really want to talk about Dallas and we're talking about Dallas. Dallas had... We're going to talk about Dallas in a second because we're going to talk no, about... No, 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 this, this is better because it's Amari Cooper. We'll come back to Chase later. We have Amari Cooper on the team. He's making, I don't know, $100 million or something ridiculous. Yeah. Dude's a stud. He's not a stud. He's fine. He's a good wide receiver. Very good wide receiver. Just not a superstar. And then we have Ezekiel Elliott, superstar running back, and then we have Dak Prescott. And the Dallas Cowboys went out and put a pile of money into the running back Ezekiel Elliott so that they could not have Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. They had to jettison one of them. They obviously chose not to jettison Zeke and instead jettison Amari Cooper. And now it turns out that Ezekiel Elliott is significantly worse than their backup running back. And you know who is not significantly better than Amari Cooper? Noah Brown is not significantly better than Noah, Amari Cooper. So, like I, I like my stance on this. Twitter told me that Jalen Tolbert was probably going to be about as good as Amari Cooper. Oh my god, the Jalen Tolbert <laughs> stuff was insane. It was it was like Michael Gallup's rookie year. Like people were like, "Oh, Michael Gallup, wide open depth chart, dude's going to be an awesome." And then he right, put but, up then, like but, but Michael Gallup at least like actually had um a good second year, and he like will have a long NFL career. Jalen Tolbert will probably be in the CFL in a year. <laughs> I was going to say, and he had six hundred yards as a rookie. That's not terrible. Right, Jalen Tolbert might have six yards have- as a rookie. Jalen Tolbert may not have 600 yards in his career, including the CFL. <laughs> Anyways, like the, the my, my stance on Tony Pollard has always been, I don't care because Ezekiel Elliott's there and they're going to play Ezekiel Elliott. Your stance on Tony Pollard is that he's awesome and someday something will happen and Tony Pollard will get to play. And sure, Zeke got hurt. He missed the game. And Tony Pollard was a top five running back in the world. Was he number one? No, because it was such a high score running back week. Like most no, no, weeks, no, no excuses. Was he number one? No, I said he would be top, he top five, five, and he was. Was he, he top he was, five? He was the RB four. Yeah, the RB four. The guy's not even RB top three. He's not even the equivalent of Chase Claypool at the running back position. This is insane. Uh, yeah. So Pollard came in. He honestly pretty crazy. Like I think 
I think about half the weeks this year, um, 33 points would have gotten you RB1. But insanely, this was the week where Kamara goes for a 40-burger. McCaffrey goes, I think, for nearly 40. Henry goes berserk. So they they all take down the 1-2-3. Pollard comes in RB4, and Deontay Foreman actually rounds up the top five this week. Of course he does. Um, adding legitimacy to Tony Pollard's top four season, or um, uh, week. It's important to note, Tony Pollard, in 100% of his career starts, has gone for at least 30 fantasy points. Um, the oh. reason why it's important to note that is that Tony Pollard was drafted in 2019. Uh, since that time, which is now he's in his fourth season, how many games has Tony Pollard been the starting running back for the Dallas Two. Cowboys? Two, right? How, and how many games has Ezekiel Elliott been the starting running back for the Dallas Cowboys at that point? I don't know. Four seasons, you say? What's yeah, four it's, it's, well, Two, this, uh, is, this is three and a half, three and a half seasons. Anyway, it's 55, 55 okay. times, right? Okay. So how many times out of the two that Tony Pollard has been the starting running back? Has he had 30 fantasy points? I believe it's two. Yeah, he's two for two, right? How many times out of the other 55 games has Ezekiel Elliott had 30 fantasy points? I would venture to guess it's zero. It's, it's actually one. He did it once. Is that because Tony Pollard missed the game? No, I think that was like in like 2019 when Pollard like didn't play. Oh, yeah, <laughs> since, since Pollard has like been a part of the offense, Ezekiel Elliott has not come anywhere near uh, 30 but fantasy points. Where it's unfair is that Tony Pollard probably has never missed a game, so Ezekiel Elliott has never had the backfield to himself. Whereas right, Ezekiel true. Elliott Although has he did, two games. Well, he, he did, did have it for he did have it yeah. for like two entire years when Pollard like didn't play until eventually they were like, oh, like let's like play Pollard a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then now unfortunately they've reached the max. Um Jerry Jones. What what an individual! Like, like beauty. I, it's honestly, it's like almost impressive when you get to the point where you're just like, I have so much money that I can be as idiotic and like self harming as I want to be, and you can't do anything about it. And like, he just seems to get so much joy out of just standing up there and just owning the libs by just being like, "We go, Z goes, baby!" Like, it's, it's 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 honestly comical. It's I'm actually torn. Okay, so let's talk about. We'll, we'll talk about Pollard as like a dynasty asset in a second, okay? I just want to talk about okay. Paul, Tony Pollard as like a football player, right? Yeah, so, he's one of those. So my, my takes on like Pollard has like always been split in two. Like the big thing, like I care about football, like I like football, right? And I like running backs, like that's just my favorite position to evaluate and talk about. And like my first take really was just like, honestly, actually, it's kind of evolved over the years. Like my first take was like, oh, Pollard is potentially kind of a fun player um, coming out of Memphis, like just a unique profile. Uh, I don't. I didn't really think he was much of a running back. Uh, then Ezekiel Elliott like started showing signs of decline. Then my take was just like, oh, I think Zeke is like probably kind of bad. And then Pollard in like a small sample might be kind of good. And then last year, like really, my take was less like Pollard is like coming into last year. My take was less like Pollard is like literally one of the best running backs in the NFL. It's more like Pollard seems to be a pretty good running back, at least in some sort of role. And Zeke seems to be a pretty bad running back. And so I would not spend a first round pick on, on Zeke. And then last year, over like as Pollard's role expanded, they gave him more touches. Uh, it was like, oh no, like Pollard is like good, good, good. Um, and Zeke is like bad, bad, bad. <laughs> um, Tony Pollard is in a class with only like Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb in terms of where he's ranking in terms of rush yards over expected every year. It's one of those smell test stats where it's like, if all of the other guys around him are that good, that's usually a good sign. I am not. So there's a lot of people on in like the running back film community 
not all of them, but certainly a sect of the running back film community that has always been down on Pollard that always thinks it's impossible that he could carry a load. And to some extent, that just might be a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, if there's enough people that think he can't carry a load, then they'll never give him a load. And then it'll like, and in this endless feedback loop that never gets a chance to actually falsify itself. I'm not going to say that he hundred percent can carry a load over a full season. I don't know. All I'm going to say is like the absence of evidence to the contrary is not absence that that thesis is actually correct. What I will say is that every time he's ever gotten the ball, he does really good things with it. <laughs> and so what I would do as an organization is just like try and give him the ball more and then see, right? Like there's there, let's assume that there is a point of diminishing returns at which point Tony Pollard is no longer like a particularly value added back. I guess I would just try and reach it. <laughs> right? Like I would just see, right? This is like, I don't know. I would just try and see like, let's chug a little more. Let's do a little more. Let's do a little more. And then you find out the thing is, Pollard's six feet, 212 pounds. Like he's a little skinny for a feature back for sure. But it's not like we're talking about like, he's like 5'10", 180, right? Like it's not something like absolutely unconscionable that a six foot, 212 pound running back could just be a lead running back. And he's a really dynamic playmaker out in space as well. He played slot wide receiver in college. He's typically been a high targets per route run guy. He just hasn't been a high routes run guy in Dallas because he they usually use a lot of running backs and pass protection in their scheme. He's not very good at pass protection. He gets this opportunity and I mean he was remarkable in this game. He's breaking big plays all the time. He's has this is now what his third run. I believe it was his third touchdown run of like over 50 yards this year. Um where he gets this ball going to the outside. He's breaking tackles. He's sidestepping people. He's juking people in the open field. And his breakaway speed is unreal. I mean, I think probably Travis Etienne is the only running back right now in the NFL that I think can match him in terms of like a breakaway speed contest. Um the biggest thing that angers me and why I almost like don't even find it funny that Zeke or that Jerry Jones is so dumb. It's like running backs careers just aren't very long. Like, I think Pollard is a pretty special player. It, like, deeply saddens me that he's wasted four years um, with this organization that has just chosen to completely waste his talents because they paid a very mediocre running back a ton of money. I don't know if he'll necessarily ever get a chance to lead a backfield because I think that it's fair that NFL teams would have questions of whether or not he can lead a backfield. I think he's shown enough in his opportunities now, and he's like joined enough of the mainstream where he's not just like some fantasy cult hero. Like people talk about him in NFL circles, where it would really surprise me if he doesn't get at least a decent contract and a chance to contribute as like a co-leader of a backfield next year. I pray that Dallas does not keep him, or at the very least, I pray that Dallas does not keep him with Zeke. If they decide like, oh, we're getting rid of Zeke and we're making Tony Pollard the feature back, that would be awesome. I don't think that's going to happen just because I think if that was their plan, then I think you would just try it now, right? Like to me, it's like, I, to me, if that was in my consideration set, if I was like, I'm not sure what we should do next year with Pollard, I would just play him as the starter for like a couple games and then find out if I want to pay this guy or not. They have not taken that approach. So I don't think that they're going to resign him. Or if they do resign him, it'll be to a complimentary role. I hope he goes somewhere to an outside zone scheme where they can give him like 12 to 15 carries per game and three to four targets. And I personally hope that it's the Eagles so that he can beat the Cowboys two times per year and stomp on the star and make Jerry Jones eat shit twice a year for the next few years. But the biggest thing that saddens me is that I think that like, even if everything breaks perfectly for Pollard and he has this year, that's incredible next year, he'll then be like 27 the next year. And he'll probably not have the same type of breakaway speed and athleticism that makes him such a special player. And I, I guess most of all, I just hope that he gets a decent enough contract that he's able to like 
use this rare athletic talent that he has to benefit himself and his family. But it just really makes me sad that he's like never going to get the opportunity to fully show what he can do because of like some rich white dude who doesn't understand what's good for his football team. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, like you've basically summed up my entire argument in the like many years that we've been arguing about Tony Pollard and that Tony Pollard is never going to get a chance. And therefore rostering him is a useless waste of time because you get to use them like once a year. Yay. So I think, I, I think that that's like where I disagree in the sense. Like, I, I don't think that necessarily he's going to get a chance. I mean, he might, I, I hope that he does. He's um, going to get a chance to do something at some point, but he's yeah. going to be 27 by that time. And like some, well, 26. He'll be 26 next year. All right, fine. Is he, is he a free agent after this year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a UFA. I mean, that, who knows with the Cowboys. They could fucking franchise tag him for all I know. I, I mean, I'll just be in the position. Um, could you imagine if they kept Zeke and then spent like a $9 million franchise tag on Pollard? It's the right thing to do. You got to run the ball to win. I saw Jerry Jones saying something about like Zeke finishes runs. Yeah, and that's why he's more uh, more better. Yeah, than Tony Pollard, and I think that's really wonderful because you know if you can get into a position where you're you know in second and six because Zeke finished the run versus getting you know six points from Tony Pollard by running fifty yards for a touchdown, it's the right thing to do because if you score a touchdown from 50, 40, 50 yards away. Do you know what you're not doing? You're not controlling the clock. And the number one goal of the offense is to control the clock. And that's why you need to get four yards at a time. So you can run many, 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 many plays and then potentially kick a field goal. You got to establish. Better way to do it. You have to control. The, you have to dictate terms. You have to control the line of scrimmage. That's it's, right. You have to do all of this stuff. These are things you need to do. It's, it's, so I, there's like this. I'm going to break this into both a Pollard take and, and this also applies to Travis Etienne. I think that they're kind of similar, although I actually think that Pollard is like better. I think that he has less deficiencies than Etienne, although I, I love Etienne and he actually will have a chance to lead a backfield. He already had a chance, which is the power of draft capital. Um, there's like a sect of the running back film community that irks me tremendously. And, and I say this because I grind running back film. Like the people in the Bill Perf patron know that like, when I'm posting these weekly thoughts, I'm often including clips of running back runs. Like I'm describing why I like certain players. Like a lot of my takes on running backs come from film. Like my Khalil Herbert take this year was very much a film take. I was like, I'm watching this guy run. I think he's a perfect fit for this new scheme. He's going to be more efficient in this outside zone scheme that gets he's going to be running than Montgomery is. Like I, I think that running back is to some extent a film position and I think that it has value. So I'm not like diminishing the idea of judging running backs through film. What I am diminishing is that I think there's a section of the running back film community that judges running backs on an athleticism curve. Like, I think that there is a, a large prevailing thought that if we, ex if we accept that like speed burst and athletic ability are dominant components of running back skill, that it like makes people's ability to judge film and understand scheme less important. And there's like a reactionary backlash to that that causes people to overhype and overpraise technically sound, physically limited running backs, and then find ways to nitpick these special athletic explosive running backs that might have certain skill sets deficiencies that cost them a couple of yards on certain plays. And I'll just name them. Matt Waldman put out this thread um, on Pollard, and he was breaking down pretty much each of his runs. And shots it's just fired it's on just, the Yeah, firing uh, shots. Podcast. Bullets are flying. You know what? Hashtag, Matt Waldman, hashtag, hashtag not sorry, Matt. 
Hashtag not sorry. Yet. Um, Matt Walton puts up this tweet thread and he's like, he's showing each of these Pollard runs. And, you know, he's saying, he's basically saying like, oh, good game by Pollard, but, you know, he's doing this. Oh, you know, top end speed doesn't matter that much. He showed a couple plays, whatever, well blocked plays. I mean, the Cowboys will line crushed. Like a lot of the plays that Pollard had were legitimately well blocked. I'm not going to take that away. But then he gets to the end and he posts these two. And the first one, and this is like the condensation of everything that's wrong with this section of running back film analysis. First one, he says, this is what Zeke gives you that Pollard can't. And he shows Pollard running stretch play that's not particularly well blocked. He gets met about one yard after the line of scrimmage, and he does not get low enough. He's pretty upright. The guy tackles him at about shoulder height, and he goes down. doesn't get any extra yardage. Not a great rep. Ultimately, what was he going to do? Was he ever going to break that tackle? No, there was no room. If he had a lower center of gravity, if he was a little stronger, could he have made that a three-yard gain instead of a one-yard gain? Yeah, probably. Probably Zeke makes that a three-yard gain instead of a one-yard gain. Okay, that's what Zeke gives you that Pollard can't. The next tweet, it says, this is what Pollard gives you that Zeke can't. And that is his 54-yard touchdown run in which he takes uh, another uh, stretch play out stretching towards the sideline makes a great cut to the line of scrimmage. Now Wilman says that Zeke would also make that same change of direction cut. Uh, maybe. Um, would he be able to make it quick enough to get away from the D line? I'm not particularly sure, but let's say that maybe he does. And then he says, okay, well what Paul would then be able to get around the corner. He says, Zeke still gets around the edge. I'm not so sure Zeke still gets around the edge. I think he moves well vertically. I don't think he moves well laterally any longer. Let's even say that's true. What he says, the difference is that Pollard is then able to outrun the safety and house it for a touchdown instead of getting tackled at the 30 yard line, which is definitely true. And then he's like, so there's some stuff that, uh, you know, Zeke can give you and stuff that Pollard can give you. Um, but you know, the stuff Pollard can give you is one or two plays a game. This is why these people are bad at fantasy football, right? Like, because they don't even understand. Like we wanted today in this show chasing tails at one point, because it's like the tail outcomes, the important outcomes matter. Pollard being able to turn what would be a 10 yard run into a touchdown matters a lot more than Zeke turning one-yard gains into three-yard gains. It doesn't really matter. It matters in a certain circumstance. It matters maybe at the goal line, right? Turning one yards into three yards, that matters. That matters. But, like, but at the 50-yard line on a first and 10, doesn't really particularly matter, right? So, like, yeah. if you want to use Zeke as, like, a specialty goal line back, by all means. But, like, and the other thing that's so funny, Jay Moyer puts out a tweet. He says, oh, the issue with Zeke versus Pollard is that with Zeke, you can use your whole playbook right? You can use your whole playbook. Mostly, they always talk about, oh, Zeke's runs are deflated because they use them on all these inside zone runs. Okay, first of all, are we, like, sure Tony Pollard couldn't be successful on inside zone runs? I'm not particularly sure, because it seems like he's successful on all the runs that he has by the numbers. Maybe he wouldn't be. I don't know. I'm not going to say that, that it's impossible that he wouldn't be. Also, if there's a type of run that is so predictably inefficient that it causes any running back who runs them to be predictably inefficient... What if we ran less of them? Like why? Like why? Why are we? Why are we having this take? Like it's like madness to me. It's like well, you just can't not run the ball up the middle repeatedly for three yards at a cloud of dust. And so if you're just giving these all these running by, he's going to be pretty inefficient. It's like maybe we should run less of these inefficient plays. Like because the Cowboys. Basically, they were like, the Cowboys had to run a really restricted offense. Well, they scored 49 points. So it yeah. seemed like whatever restrictions they made, like maybe the eradication of all of the unexplosive, inefficient plays from your offense is actually a good thing. And it relates to ETN too. Like ETN makes mistakes. Like I think he's a way more mistake-prone runner than, than Tony Pollard. Like he, he does he does bad things. He's not as decisive. He doesn't have as good a vision. I think he'll work on that. He's a rookie, essentially. Tony Pollard is, is now in year four. But like it's the same thing where people are like James Robinson so much better than Travis Etienne. James Robinson so much better. No, he's not. 
right? He's not better because ultimately, like when Travis Etienne gets a hole, he's taking it for 40, 50 yards. Like this guy has has now already tied the NFL record plus yard runs in his first three career starts because he's an extremely fast dude who's the most athletic person on the field and that's ultimately just more important than getting small minor wins and executing the scheme to perfection that's why the people that thought carter was better than etn are wrong that's why the people who thought that michael carter was going to hold off Brees hall this year because he has better vision between the tackles are so lost in the sauce of trying to defend their own project that they're just wrong and so there's this People were saying, oh, actually, you know, actually the film people weren't wrong on ETN, right? People were trying to dunk on the film people about ETN. And some people were trying to, in defense, saying, no, they weren't wrong about ETN. They were right about how he should be deployed, and they were right about this. And, and to that extent, it's true, right? I think that they were right about identifying what he can do and what he can't do. What they were very wrong about was assessing how much what he can do matters versus how much what he can't do matters. Because ultimately, if you were correct about identifying his skill sets, but you were unable to convert that into actionable advice, and instead you convert that into advice that says Michael Carter and Trey Sermon are better than Travis Etienne, then you are wrong. You are just wrong about the position. You're wrong about fantasy football. You're, you're, you're wrong about what NFL teams value because the whole idea of being, well, I'm not a fantasy analyst, I'm a running back analyst. NFL teams decided to draft Travis Etienne in the first round, and they decided to make him a workhorse halfway through his first full season. NFL teams drafted Brees Hall in the second round. They decided to make him a workhorse immediately. These running backs are providing more value because explosive plays matter. So I just, you're 100% right. I love everything you've said. I just really want to go back to what Jerry, Jerry Jones had said because I think it's just really insightful. And we should probably break it down in detail uh, because of, like how much people will learn from, from this quote, which I've pulled up for us to have a quick look at. And here's how it goes. So here I'll set it up. This is how, what the article says. Despite that, Jones told reporters on Sunday that Elliot is in zero danger of losing his starting job, which rightfully so, because of these reasons. There is no argument, Jones says. Zeke's ability to punish. Zeke's yeah. ability to deliver. Zeke's ability... <laughs> And then he just leaves it at Billy. It's just Zeke's ability. <laughs> what he does for us in pass protection. And frankly, Zeke's ability to make big plays are there. And we're going to go where Zeke goes. He's that integral to our success. And I think he's absolutely right because there's one thing that we know about Zeke Elliott. It's synonymous. Like Zeke Elliott, big plays. They go together. <laughs> and we know this because there's a website. You've maybe never heard of it. You probably haven't. At clearpoker.com, they have wonderful <laughs> – metrics in which they track these kinds of things like big plays and if you look at ezekiel elliott going, dating back to 2020 this is the last three years getting back to 2020 you can see his breakaway run rate his breakaway <laughs> run rate is percentage of carries that go 15 yards or greater you can see that he has a 1.6 percent breakaway run rate and that is the type of big plays that make the cowboys offense thrive in 2021, though, it got better because Zeke is that good. He had 2.5%. That was good enough for running back 45 in the world. We're talking about the entire world. We're not talking about the NFL, the world. He's in the top 45 players out of 8 billion people on the planet. How many people are on the planet? Now, is it 8? 9? I don't know. A lot of people. I've lost count. How many people? You must know. A lot of people. A lot of people. And Zeke's number 45. Yeah. That's like in the point zero 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 one percentile do the stuff then 2022 rolls around this is this is what he's most recently working with Zeke Elliott out here just making the world embarrassed with a 1.8 percent breakaway run rate number 51 in the world again 
in the like fractions of a percentile, best player in the world. Do you know what Pollard's breakaway run rate is this year? Uh, why, don't you, why don't you let me know? It's 11%. You should ask if Jerry Jones subscribes to playerprofile.com. He doesn't even have to. It's free. This is free on the internet. You don't even have to subscribe, Jerry. 11% versus – no, like, yeah, if he did get all the runs that Z got, it wouldn't be 11%, but it'd definitely no. be higher than two. It's probably not in the 50s of NFL running backs. By the way, there are 32 running backs to start in the NFL. So Ezekiel yeah. Elliott is running for a breakaway run rate lesser than like, mm. half the league's backup running backs. Now, I, I think that a lot of times people get what I say a little bit conflated with what I mean. And what I say is that Tony Pollard is not a player that you want on your fantasy team because he's not going to score a lot of fantasy points because he plays behind Ezekiel Elliott. That doesn't mean that I think Ezekiel Elliott's the best running back in football. It means he's going to get a, he's not going to get less touches than Tony Pollard because Jerry Jones says things like we go as Zeke goes. And I'm just not willing to bet on Jerry Jones changing his mind despite all of the evidence in the world. It doesn't matter. And that's why we don't want Tony Pollard on our fantasy teams. I'm sorry. I'm not yeah, I mean, my, I mean my, my point for Pollard and why I think he has been a, a good fantasy option, I mean, he has been because he's continually held or increased value. I think ultimately, like I've always said that he's like, essentially he's like a second round pick that you can put in your lineup on occasion. Like he he's going to hold value because everybody's counting down until 2023 because everybody knows that he's good. Everybody's been counting down to this free agency. And so you just hold him and hold him and hold him. And then if you want to sell before he hits free agency, just sell at that point. And in the meantime, you have the opportunity to score 30 points anytime that Zeke twists an ankle. Which is like twice in his career. Ezekiel Elliott has missed. Right, like but, but he could have. He could have. He could break life. his leg tomorrow. Maybe I'm going to hit him with a crowbar. I don't know. Perhaps that could happen. Tony Pollard's mom should hit him with a crowbar. God. That's what should happen. You know what's honestly wild? Like, good for Tony Pollard. Like, there's so many disgruntled players in the NFL. Um, I don't like, anything. He's got it. It's, it's remarkable. Him. Like Pollard is like always like so complimentary of Zeke and everything. Like, if I were Pollard, like he must be a significantly nicer person than I am. If I were Pollard, I would lose my mind. This, this is non-alpha behavior. This is why he doesn't have the big target share. That's a good point. He needs to be a diva. He needs to, to get like Elijah Moore. If he wants to eat, he's got to get on Twitter and call out the world. I don't know why I'm not getting the ball. I don't know what my chemistry is like with that. But I could never get the ball. If I knew, you would know. And I'd be the best running back in football. And he's uh, got to say that. And he's not. Well, that, was a good, that was a good Tony Pollard conversation. I'm glad that we've like agreed to something. I'm glad we've at least agreed on like the basis that Tony Pollard's actually good. Yeah, that's like the one that's like the main project of like my life is like I've finally gotten people to like capitulate on that point. I don't think that there's any argument that he isn't good at football. Like I, I just I don't think that's you can't point to anything and say this player isn't doing well in the NFL. There's no there's no metric out there that says he's not good. The metric out there that says he's not good for fantasy is that Ezekiel Elliott exists and Jerry Jones will never let that happen. So at least Pollard is outscoring him this year in fantasy points, and that's just like a small victory that ultimately doesn't matter much for your fantasy teams, but it makes me happy. So and I have one other rant on this that just drives me nuts because people tell me that these players, these Tony Pollards and the AJ Dillons of the world, have standalone value. I mean, Pollard does like he is an RB. He does not. He was scoring ten points a game until Zeke Elliott got hurt. If you were starting Tony Pollard in your lineup for the past seven weeks, you were not happy. He his his season long fantasy points got buoyed by this, like. He had an incredible, like Deontay Foreman esque week this week. Thank God, because it saved this whole season. Like AJ Dillon, if you look at AJ Dillon's standalone value last year when he's like RB20, it came because Aaron Jones got hurt. And when Aaron Jones got hurt, AJ Dillon's production presumably went up because we know that's what happens with running backs. And uh, if you're starting AJ Dillon in all the games that Aaron Jones was not hurt, you were not very happy. 
because his running back, his points were so bad in those games that even when Aaron Jones got hurt and AJ Dillon got to pump up the volume on the on the uh, touches, I don't know wagon. I don't know what to call it. He got he got to get some freaking touches, and then he finally scored points. And yeah, that was a great great start in the week that Aaron Jones was there. But he did not have standalone value. You sucked if you started AJ Dillon when Aaron Jones was playing football. I'm sorry. Same thing with Tony Pollard. He scored 10 points a game. That's not standalone value. That's that is standalone value. I mean, that's it's in a redraft league. You can get 10 points a game off the waiver wire almost every single right. Week. But you can't. Yes, but you. It's the combination of standalone value and contingent value. Like I think Pollard is a better pick in best ball for that reason than in a managed league, where where it's like you're kind of just you're setting and forgetting, and you don't have access to like all these different waiver wire running sure. backs that may or may not like because you're not drafting Deontay Foreman in a best ball league realistically, right? So like you don't have that opportunity to pick up Deontay Foreman on waivers, oh, put him in. Why wouldn't you draft Deontay Foreman, the number four running back in week eight? That was a number five running back in week eight. Number five. Oh, he's number um, five. Yeah, we Pollard beat him. That's right. My mistake. My mistake. Sorry, everyone. Well, I'm going to try the segue this time. You know, I was talking about how how Tony Pollard, if I were Tony Pollard, I'd be very disgruntled. Uh, um, but Tony Pollard, uh, we've talked about he's he's a really nice guy. Another another group of people that are nice people are Canadians. They are uh, Canada's preeminent wide receiver, Chase Claypool, uh, was was potent, also known as Mapletron, also known as Slotpool, also known as Midpool. Um, he, he was. This is why you don't get to give players names today. anymore. No more nicknames from you. <laughs> I think it's good. Midpool? Uh, that's, that's, no, that's, so that's a kosh. That's a kosh. Oh, okay. A kosh. You got to stop calling. You got to stop putting mid in everyone's name. <laughs> yeah. A kosh called him midpool. Um, Chase Claypool gets traded to the Chicago Bears for a second round pick. And the prevailing thought on this was that it is a terrible move for the Chicago Bears. And the fun thing is that Chase Claypool exists like in this weird realm of NFL players where it's like he's relevant enough for fantasy that like we all have thoughts about Chase Claypool, but he's not relevant enough for fantasy that anybody's really out there talking about what you should do with Chase Claypool because he doesn't really matter that much. Uh, but people like were really more talking about like what do we think this means for Justin Fields? What do we think this means for the other Pittsburgh receivers? What do we think that this means for like in the NFL sense? Is this a good move or a bad move? And I'll start first if you want to give a fantasy take on Chase Claypool. I personally think Chase Claypool is a guy where it's like he showed enough in his rookie year that I feel like he's not going away. He's like clearly an NFL player, but he's regressed slash plateaued to the point where it's pretty clear he's not going to ever be a difference-making player. So he's like a guy where if people are like, I literally just don't even this guy on my roster, I'll take him on my roster. If people are like, I think this guy's going to break out, I'll be like, here you go. Give me a round two pick so that I can re-roll. That's where I'm at on Claypool. Um, do you feel any differently? And then I kind of want to talk about this more from an NFL sense because I think that's interesting. I think Chase Claypool is perhaps a little bit more interesting than you do. And the reason for that is... Um, it kind of pops in my sophomore comps process. Yeah, he had a great rookie year. Yeah, he had a really good, really, really strong rookie year. I was super into him after year one. It was really a tale of touchdowns, though. He scored like I don't know eleven touchdowns in the in his rookie year, somewhere thereabouts. But he so, also like earned a pretty high targets per route run. Yeah, yeah, he did. All, he, yeah, they didn't play him much. I don't think early in the year. Well, they didn't. He had a weird rookie year. They they barely played him early in the year, and then they played him a lot. And then late in the year, even though he had been good, they scaled him back. And that was like kind of like a weird red flag. And then it was the same thing that happened in year two where he started off early in year two. He wasn't producing anything, but his peripherals were pretty decent. Um, 
And then Juju goes out, and I was like, okay, finally he's going to get to run all the routes. Like, it's just going to be him and Deontay. They're both going to be, like, 85 to 90% plus route participation guys. He's always earned targets at a pretty good clip. This is going to be awesome. And then the first couple weeks, he just, like, wasn't earning targets anymore at a very good clip. And then he kind of started turning it around. He had, like, a couple decent games mixed in, but the offense just wasn't working. And then he did that dumb thing with the not, uh, like, getting the ball the referee in time. Yeah, and then they started, and, and then they started scaling back his playing time. They started playing Ray Ray McLeod more. They started like playing James Washington again, for some reason. Uh, and so then he just like, never really had. <laughs> like, uh, then, you know that James Washington, <laughs> according to the Pittsburgh uh, media, was in fact good enough to be a starter on nearly every team in football, like a wide receiver one party, not a starter, the wide yeah, receiver one well, on the Pits- every team. In Pittsburgh, football, except for the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh media is just like completely deranged. It's like, like are they beating these guys? Chase Chase Claypool once said not that long ago that he is a top three wide receiver, and he did not mean on his team. He meant in the entire world. Yeah. So wild. like, I actually like Claypool. Like, I think he's fun, and and I think that he yeah. kind of got a bad rap. I think he's a fun personality. I like that he has a personality. I'm rooting for him. I mean, this year, this year was like he he basically just played the slot role, which is honestly a pretty good role for him because despite being big, he's not actually very good at contested catches. Uh, like he's like he, he looks like Mike Williams and he like reaches for the ball like Mike Williams, but Mike Williams always comes down with it. Chase Claypool usually doesn't. Uh, I just make that comparison. I feel like <laughs> Chase Claypool to me is like my Mike Williams, where I'm like, but he's like poverty Mike Williams because he's not actually that good at contested catches. I just think he's gonna play a lot and he's gonna be on the field a lot and he's gonna make splash plays from time to time. And people right. are gonna be excited about that because he's six five and two hundred and fifty pounds and I like the most athletic player in football. I think he's like a uniquely weird player though, because he's not actually that good at like the big boy wide receiver things, but he is a really dynamic athlete. Like, and in terms of what he's best at, like they give him rushing attempts on end rounds and stuff. He's like pretty good after the catch. Like they were using him in a big slot role this year. And and I thought that was a pretty good role for him. The problem was, it's just Pittsburgh was so crowded. Like they have Deontay who's a massive target owner. They have Pickens who's good. They have Claypool who's pretty good. They have Fryer who's pretty good. Pickens is good. Like, I think he's like good in an NFL sense. Yeah. He's a good player. What? I'm like I'm I'm like I'm lower than the consensus on the dynasty, but like he's clearly good, um, right? Like so clearly yeah. good. Yeah, like they had Deontay, who's like a massive target earner, and then they had minimum three other like starting quality good NFL players mm-hmm. running routes on every play, and so it's just like hard to. And then that's fun if you have a good quarterback, but they had not a good quarterback. They had Pitch Trubisky and they had Kenny Pickett. So things are rough really going to happen. I, I am kind of excited about Claypool in in Chicago. Yeah. I don't I don't think that. I mean, the issue is though. Like I also think. Is Claypool that much better than Mooney? Like, I think they're both kind of yeah. similar in the sense that they're like, why, why do you think he's better than Mooney? Because Mooney uh, actually like Mooney's has a lot of targets. I mean, I don't think Mooney's all that good either. But you put Mooney on Pittsburgh, how many targets is he getting? Because you're like, he has getting, a lot of targets. He's none. not earning targets. He's on a team that doesn't have anyone. Cole Komet targets on that team. Like, get out of here. No, no, he actually doesn't. He did last year. Yeah, not anymore. That that day is over. Yeah, well, wow. Anyway. <laughs> I, I actually honestly the Cole Komet people getting bodied is one of my favorite things this year that guy sucks so much <laughs> what's his target share this year it's not that bad oh it's really bad He's Cole Komet that's number 20 in the NFL <laughs> yeah, 13% which is weird because people said that he would get a lot of targets because there was nobody else to throw to but it, it seems that it didn't matter last year. like that's right. Claypool yeah um, but Claypool no Claypool's not um you're, okay, that's a good point. I, I think that if Darnell Mooney was on the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's we like we wouldn't know his name. No, 
<laughs> I think he would just. I think he would just run down the field. I don't. I don't even know if he'd get on the field or run down the field. He probably would. I'm, I'm being. I'm being a bit facetious. Like I think Mooney's oh, fine, Mooney's I, but I think Mooney is like I, ideally Mooney is like a good stretch Z wide receiver getting 15 percent of the targets only on goat routes. Yeah, like that's probably that's probably like a good scenario for Mooney, and he's like a better than average. Like if you're. Darnell Mooney, would, like if he was in the, like a Donovan Peoples Jones esque role, he would be very Elijah good. Elijah Moore role. <laughs> Actually, That's makes me so sad. For Darnell Mooney. Yeah. So, so you think Claypool over Mooney in Chicago for maybe not say maybe not maybe let's not say this year because he just got traded there, but let's yeah. say next year you would yeah. you'd be expecting Claypool to outproduce Mooney. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Play. I don't think it's going to happen right away because Mooney is already like entrenched in this offense. Claypool's coming in midseason. He's going to have no time to learn the offense. They're just going to throw him out there and tell him to run like three routes on every play, and that's right. all he's going to do. It's going to be yep. super un, uh, uninspiring, and it's going to be fine. To be fair, that's about all the routes that he can run. He's not exactly a polished. So, <laughs> right in his wheelhouse. It's perfect. Uh, no, but like seriously, he's he's just going to be – he's probably going to walk into like his similar role in Pittsburgh. Like so the time, so the time to buy him then, if we want to buy him, is in a month when he hasn't really done anything. Yeah, Not don't now. buy it today because there's going to be some people that think, oh, he's in Chicago now. Also, like, I don't know that we're really going to get Justin Fields throwing passes at a very reasonable right. clip. Because Justin Justin time. Fields has turned around his fantasy value, but he's still not doing anything for the offense. Like, Mooney has been the clear top dog in terms of he's, like, earning a lot of targets or getting a lot of targets, receiving a lot of targets, whatever you want to say. But he he's being targeted a lot. It doesn't matter. He's, like, barely a wide receiver three. I, I don't even know if he is a wide receiver three. Probably not. Uh, Cole Komet's obviously nothing. Nobody else there is anything. Did you just say Darnell Mooney's a wide receiver three, like in fantasy football? Well, I, I thought that he was for a second, and then I realized that he's probably like a wide receiver six. Matt, you're going to want to cut that section out because Darnell <laughs> Mooney's actually wide receiver 65 right now. Oh, that's not he's, he's not a wide receiver How three. can that be? There's nobody else to throw to. <laughs> How could that be? There's nobody else to throw to. Oh, my goodness. Big hit target strikes again. I, I, I have a bet in the Discord. Uh, for most points per game this season, and I had Gabriel Davis. Uh, Hoagie has Darnell Mooney, and Wheezy has Rashad Bateman. And boy, we're looking good. Oh, uh, anyhow, yeah. I like I like the idea of a Claypool thing. Like a field six step forward next year as a passer because he's been better in fantasy this year and in real life. Most of his improved fantasy production lately is because he's running a lot more and he's passing enough to move the offense but he's not passing enough to great fantasy value for others but no. the, the, the hope is that maybe he will in the future and and it looks as though he's no longer like a suicide bomber as a passer so yeah. that that like that probably means that maybe they'll let him pass more like, I his think passing isn't actually that bad like he he's he's completing only 58.5 percent of his uh passes yeah but he throws but, deep i was gonna he, say 9.2 air yards per attempt Right. And he's got nobody to th- his his best wide receiver is wide receiver sixty seven in fantasy football. He has no one to throw to. He's he's not great. Don't get me wrong. He's not. This isn't Lamar Jackson in year two by any stretch. No. But like this could happen. Like he could be Jalen. Jalen Hurts was around kind of this level of passer. I think last year. I'm not saying he's going to be Jalen Hurts in twenty. Like Jalen Hurts third year is not going to be Justin Fields third year necessarily. No. But I think it's possible that Justin Fields is a NFL starting is, quarterback for a long time. Is Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney like the most poverty version of AJ Brown and Devonta Smith possible? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 
The most poverty version you could find. I love it. <laughs> like, they're even the same. It's like you have one guy who's, like, big and wears 11 and has a lot of swagger. And then there's, like, the other guy who's really skinny. Um, <laughs> and, and then you have, like, Cole Komet is, like, a really sad version of Dallas Goddard. You just have, like, their whole offense is just the worst yeah. version of the Eagles offense. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. They're, they're the significantly worse <laughs> Eagles. Yeah, exactly. Um Let's talk about the actual NFL terms, though, because okay. I think that that's interesting. Wait, I so, just want to give my final take on Claypool. Yeah, go for I it. think I would like to buy Claypool because I think he's a guy that could pop at some point, and people will still remember his athleticism, and mm-hmm. they'll get excited about his size and speed and, and his RAS score and all that kind of stuff. So he's he's got good potential for a big value jump, even without big production. He's also probably going to have – a reasonable chance of still producing the NFL and therefore I still want to be buying him. Uh, any second round pick I would buy him for, I would trade off an early second for Chase Claypool at this point. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. I probably would not give an early second. I think I'd give a mid to late second. No, I like, yeah, no, I'd give an early second. I'd rather have Chase Claypool than a lot of players. I think like, I'm not saying he's, he's a lock for a top 24, but in the early second, you're not getting guys that are necessarily a lock for the top 24. No, you're not. You're getting pretty good guys. But I, I would just rather take a sh- like, yeah. But I would just rather take a swing at getting a guy that I think like either has more potential to be like a top 12 guy, or because like I'm pretty sure at this point Claypool is not never going to be a top 12 guy. So I would just rather take like a swing at the unknown of getting maybe a top 12 guy. But I do think it's possible Claypool is a top 24 guy. I, I wouldn't like write him off as that being possible. Uh, well, after his rookie year, I think it's reasonable to suggest it was very likely he would be a top 20. Oh, I think it was. And After his rookie year, I was in on Claypool. His second yeah. year and third year have left a lot to be desired. But Yeah, yeah like he's, yeah, you're right. He's probably not a top 12 guy, but I think it's still like a better than average chance that he's yeah. a top 24. I, I wrote about Claypool actually in, in one of my weekly thoughts, like about a month ago or something. And it was like one, of, it was the game where Pickens finally started earning targets. And that was when I was like, okay, like Claypool is clearly like probably not going to be the number two in this offense. Or if he is, he's like the two, like a slash B slash C with the other yeah. two guys. And I wrote, I was like, Claypool is probably dead for the rest of this year. He's probably dead as long as he's in Pittsburgh in terms of being a meaningful asset. But like guys with his rookie profile just don't like usually vanish into thin air. If I were to guess, he's going to end up in some other team at some point, and he's probably going to have a season where he starts popping up back into our lives again. And, and I hope that that happens because he, he's interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I think is going to happen. He's going to float around for a while. He's valued at like a mid to late second. So I think that's pretty fair value. I, I would buy him for that pretty easily. I'm yeah. probably not going to go off for a second, early second for him, knowing now that he's not worth that. But uh, maybe that changes with the trade. I don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, NFL. Let's talk about the NFL. Like, because, I mean, I think that everybody was like, really out on this trade. I, I think in part that people like to just confirm their priors. And I think that people's priors are the Bears are a dumb organization. And so when the Bears like do something, people like to be like, oh, lol's Bears. Um, I think that this was a perfectly reasonable trade. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that similar to kind of the discussion that we just had about would you trade an early second round dynasty pick? Would you trade a mid second round dynasty pick? Like, I think that, yeah, the chances of the Bears drafting a superstar is higher with the second round pick that they just traded away to the Pittsburgh Steelers than it is Chase Claypool. And the, the, the absolute upside outcome is that you draft a superstar and you have them cost controlled for four years plus potential franchise tag versus now they have them for a one and a half plus potential franchise tag. So that's fair. The ceiling is definitely higher. And I'm usually like the Chase ceiling guy. I, I guess the reason why I think this deal is fine is that to me, everything should be viewed through the lens of 
Justin Fields' valuation, Justin Fields' development. Like the two most important things the Bears should be factoring every decision through right now is, is Justin Fields good? And if we think he's good, how can we help him be as good as he can be? Like that's so crucial to me, everything with Justin Fields. And like in fantasy, the replacement level is much higher than the replacement level for an NFL player. Like in fantasy, we're talking about, oh, if you score, if you don't score 14 points per game, we don't really care about you. In the NFL, it's not that. It's like, are, can you draw coverage? Can you be a guy that wins this matchup? Can you be a factor on an NFL football field? And the Bears just didn't have NFL players. Like Nikhil Harry is not an NFL player. Equinemia St. Brown, not an NFL player. Uh, Vilas fucking Jones, like these guys just aren't NFL players. Chase Claypool might not matter in fantasy. He might not be a superstar. He's probably not a wide receiver one of an offense in a really good offense. But like he's clearly an NFL player. He's clearly an NFL starter. He has skill sets that can contribute to create offense. And so to me, I'm willing to sacrifice that little bit of ceiling and say, okay, in order for us to evaluate and develop fields properly, we need to put him around actual NFL players at positions of need. And so, like to me, of all of the bad trades in the world, they didn't go trade for a fucking linebacker. They didn't. They didn't trade for a yeah, guard. They traded away linebacker. Right. They, they didn't trade a running back. Like people were like, "Oh, Roquan Smith is better than Chase." Plow. Absolutely, Roquan Smith is better at playing linebacker than Chase Claypool is playing at wide receiver. The difference is they would have had to pay Roquan Smith a bunch of money to play a position that doesn't really matter that much, anyways. Certainly doesn't matter in terms of evaluating your quarterback because nothing else about your team matters if your quarterback is not good and if Justin Fields is not the answer. Then you need to redo it with another quarterback. Chase Claypool is a lot more impactful than being able to evaluate Justin Fields. He's a cost-controlled player, and he's a real NFL player at a position that really matters in the NFL largely and especially matters for their position right now as a franchise that they really, really need. And so to me, if they look at the 2023 wide receivers and they say, you know what? You know, we think the superstars are going in the first round. We just want to secure having a real NFL player. We're going to do it in a second round pick. They still have their own first. They still have the Baltimore second. They can still draft another receiver. They can still draft an alignment with those picks. I think it's a totally reasonable deal. Yeah, like in the NFL, yeah, it would be better off if they were a really good team. Like let's let's say for instance, this team already has a bona fide wide receiver one. Let's say right. Darnold Mooney is actually awesome. Then in that case, I have they they should absolutely not be trading for Chase Claypool. But they don't have NFL wide receivers, and that's a big problem for an offense. And that's a big problem for Justin Fields. You can't if the reason they're not passing the ball at even like a league worst rate, like they're passing the ball at like a league worst rate in 1950. They need to be passing the ball at a league worst rate in 2022. They need to pass 30 passes right. because a you need to do that in order to win games, even at the bare minimum level on a regular basis. Like Justin Fields is probably never going to lead the league in pass attempts. Justin Fields needs to pass at Lamar Jackson levels. Or they're yeah. not going to win a lot of football games. No, he doesn't have to be as good as Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is one of the best quarterbacks. Yeah, they need, to, they need to be the Eagles. So they just need to be like a normal team. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. So Chase Kapoor, yeah, he's he's an NFL player. And then this is one of the discussions we had a while ago about the uh, – uh, which team was it? The Kansas City Chiefs and how, oh, yeah, you know, like Sky Moore isn't getting on the field, but he's playing with NFL players, so that's not really a huge hmm. appointment. That's not what's happening in Chicago. They don't have NFL players. They need some. Sure, you could draft a superstar A.J. Brown-level prospect at the top of round two next year in a in the 2023 draft. That's possible. That's what the uh, Tennessee Titans did. They drafted A.J. Brown at the beginning of the second round. He was 211, I think, or 210, or somewhere thereabouts. So it's possible to get a superstar there. I'm not saying that. 
But there's a lot of second round picks that are not NFL players. And surrounding Justin Fields with one of those is detrimental to your quarterback's development. The fact that you can get Chase Leapool today helps him develop over the last eight weeks of the season or nine weeks of the season. So I'm into it. Second round picks, just for instance, since 2000, hmm. 2003 to 2019, we have 75 second round picks. There's a lot of second round picks. The historical hit rate of those players is 28 out of 75 have hit a top 24 season. We're not talking about superstars here. We're talking about like decent NFL producers. That's a 37% hit rate. So we are taking Chase Claypool, who probably has a higher hit rate than that, I think anyway, uh, of hitting a top 24 season. I think he's probably more probable than 37% chance or historical hit rate. So I think you're getting like kind of a median outcome or a little bit better right away. Sure, you're not getting the tail where you're getting a genuine superstar. Chase Claypool is not Megatron as he was formerly billed. He's not even DK Metcalf, which was the popular uh, year two comp. But anyways, so then we have to also consider that they know what they're getting. And Chicago has a history of drafting not such great players already in their yeah, first they, they, just, they literally forfeited their third round pick the second that they selected Villas Jones this year. They just decided we would rather not have a third round pick. They could have picked anyone in the third round. They picked Milos Jones. So we literally should not have been drafted. I'm not like, going to run out to best. Wouldn't have been a good seventh round pick. This is the front office that is destined to pick AJ Brown in the second round. I just don't believe that's true. If we look at my prospect grades, just across the second round, we have 15 bulletproof prospects. We have 19 coin flips, 11 long shots, and 29 bust tier prospects. Draft in the second round out of these 75. That's a 20% chance of just throwing a dart and hitting a bulletproof prospect a 25 percent chance of throwing a dart and hitting a coin flip one 11 percent at 15 or 11 sorry 15 percent at hitting a long shot and 39 percent chance of just hitting a bust if you're just throwing a dart at a wall at a second round pick so and that, that's just their prospect years then if you break it down to the grades sure if they draft the bulletproof wide receiver in round two you're looking at 10 out of 15 that's a 67 percent hit rate that's pretty good like if you could get one of those guys, except they drafted Vilas Jones. That's they're not looking at the same things we're looking at <laughs> at all. They're looking at they're, like we are reading an English. Vilas Jones, by the way, who is older than Chase Claypool? It's it's brutal. Currently, coin flips they've hit historically nine out of nineteen. That's forty seven percent. Long shots three out of eleven. That's twenty seven percent. Actually, the busts in the second round have been doing pretty good. Six out of twenty nine at a twenty percent hit rate. By doing pretty good, I mean relative to the other rounds where they're like on average about a 12% hit rate. So they're they're out hitting in the second round. Nonetheless, these are not good hit rates. You can do a lot of damage to your quarterback's development by picking players that are not good, by surrounding him with Keel Harry and Equinemius St. Brown and Darnell fucking Mooney and all these guys that are just not good at football. The other issue is like there's, com- there's compounding effects to not knowing what you have, right? Like if you draft a wide receiver in the second round and it's Schrodinger's wide receiver, like you don't for sure know if they're good. You don't know for sure if they're bad, but like you've invested in them enough that like then that blocks you from doing other things, right? Because you're like, you're like, oh, this is part of our answer, right? So you're probably not going to sign the superstar free agent and draft, you know, the wide receiver early. You're probably not going to draft a wide receiver in the first and draft a wide receiver in the second. You could, maybe you even should, but that's just not usually how teams operate. With Chase Claypool, you know exactly what he is. You know that he's part of your solution in your wide receiver room. You also know he's not the final solution for your wide receiver room. So it, it frees you up to do other things where you take care of one thing now, which is getting NFL players. And then you're still like, ideally, you have an offense where you have 
you know, Chase Claypool as like your big slot wide receiver. You have Mooney as your stretch Z wind sprint wide receiver. And then you still have that superstar X wide receiver next to the both of them. And that and will certainly make Chase Claypool run. not a fantasy value. But in terms of the Bears team building, that's ideally what you want to be doing. Um, the other thing I will say too is like you there aren't that many positions that like really matter in the NFL in particular where the bears are at, right? Like most of the positions that we say are quote unquote unimportant, like guard and interior defensive line, off ball linebackers, safeties, all that stuff. Those things matter on the margins, right? Those things matter on teams that want to compete running backs. Those things matter. If you're ready to win a super bowl and you already have all the important positions, that's why you're ready to win a super bowl. The bears are not that they don't have an O line. They don't have wide receivers. They don't have edge rushers. They don't have the positions that matter. So, the idea that you're just going to say, well, we're for sure taking a wide receiver in the second round. Like you don't know for sure that the wide receivers that you'll want, the wide receivers that you have rated highest are actually going to be there. The wide receivers that fit your scheme, they might not be there. And so then what are you going to do? There's other positions of need, right? That's fair. You can default to them, but then you're still stuck without a wide receiver and you really need a wide receiver. And so are you going to end up getting trapped taking a wide receiver doesn't fit a wide receiver that you don't want? That's not good. You don't want to be reaching on players. So I think this just gives them more flexibility. It's cost control. I, I like it. And I like it for fields. Um, I think that it's I think that it's a strong idea and it's and we'll see what their final outcome is here. But to me, overall what they did where they they get off Roquan Smith and his future contract, they're able to go get uh Clay Claypool for a second round pick. They got a second round pick back for Roquan. I know that they traded an earlier one and they got back. They also got a fifth. I, I think honestly it's a pretty good pretty good job by them. Yeah, I, I'm completely fine with. I don't, like, I don't think it's a home run by any stretch. I'm no. not like, oh man, look at the Bears, they're awesome. But I don't think it's like how they're getting chastised in the in the social media sphere right now is a touch unfair. I think, and uh, like, yeah. I just I also I, think it's good for the Steelers for what it's worth because oh, they're in a different spot. The Steelers. Steelers don't need a wide receiver, right? Like they could you can always use a third, but they're fine. They have Deontay Johnson locked up, they have George Pickens locked up, they have a really good tight end. Like they're okay. So if they can just get a second round pick they can use on whatever, right? It's yeah. a different situation. Well they, they yeah, the Steelers the Steelers won the trade without question. Right. But I don't think it's like a massacre and that the Bears have forfeited their future by trading mm-hmm. for Drew Claypool. I think the most important thing is, do we have a quarterback in Justin Fields? And I think having Chase Claypool on the team at least gives you some indication whether or not you have Justin Fields as a franchise quarterback because it should allow them to pass at a reasonable rate to see if Justin Fields is even good. And maybe they don't have to pass 9.6 or whatever yards down the field on average. That seems a little extreme. Anyways, that's Chase Claypool. That's our one-hour episode that was actually an hour and 50 minutes we're not going to go two hours. So no. see, so it is, it is one hour in the sense that it's less than two hours. That's true. We are rounding down from wherever we are. It's one hour in the sense that if you were to say, how long is this episode and you were to describe it, you would start with one hour and then you would say something else, but you would start with one hour before you'd say how many minutes. Well, I guess it depends. Do you want to talk about more things? No, we, I got to go. Do the last segment. What was the last segment? Fantasy receipts. Oh, Five minutes. All right, we're gonna close. We're gonna close this off. Five to twenty-five minutes on fantasy receipts, and then we'll be done. Okay, this is the last thing. We're gonna talk about fantasy receipts. So, Uh, is having your receipts pulled and being upset about it soft? That's the first thing we need to determine. Yeah, it's soft. Yeah, it's soft. It's so soft. (laughs) I, I just, I, I, I think that it's really soft, and that's what I'll say on that regard. I think. 
I think when you're doing something like this, where you're putting content out into the world for the world to consume, you need to be willing and able to handle the criticism that comes with it. And having a bad take is fine. You're a fantasy football analyst. Uh, I saw somebody say Mike Lou he said this at one point, and I really like Mike Lou. And this is a great quote where he said, we are stockbrokers, not fortune tellers. And you have to keep that in mind when we're doing fantasy football analysis. And when people are judging you, you need to understand that no matter what you say, people are going to judge you. You can go onto Twitter and say, Tom Brady is the GOAT, and people will tell you, no, he isn't. You're an idiot. He's not the GOAT. You can go onto Twitter and say, Tom Brady is the GOAT, and you'll have a, the same amount of people telling you, of course he's the GOAT. He's the dude. Like He's the dude GOAT. So no matter what you say, people are going to be upset by it. You're going to make misses because we're not fortune tellers. We are stockbrokers. We're trying to make the best bets that are going to help win fantasy championships. So you need to be willing to understand your role in this as a fantasy analyst that you're going to have misses and it's okay. And people will judge you for those misses and you can't let it affect you, even though it may affect you. But if it does, don't look at it. Nobody's forcing you to go read the damn comments on the fantasy receipts receipt polling. Anyways, that's my first point. I just think it's, yeah, I, I just, I think that the people who would be really upset about this, like, honestly, probably lack somewhat of a coherent process. Like, I, I think that if you're making choices based on a process that you've put a lot of thought into, like, you already know that if you're engaging in any form of probabilistic process guided results, that you're not really trying to bat 100%, right? Like, you're not trying to make a million different individual choices that you think are going to work. Like, you're trying to say, like, here's some general principles that I'm applying in which I view this game. And, like, maybe that's a data model. Maybe that's game through principles. Maybe that's, like, just a set of heuristics. Maybe that's film. Whatever it is, like, you're applying a set of process. You're applying a process to a number of different individual bets within that process. And you have to know that in a game that's this very and it's based on probabilities but like a number of those bets are going to fail even if you have a particularly good one you just have to accept that and also i think like you just need to have enough faith in your audience to accept that i think that the people who follow me generally for the most part are intelligent enough to realize that i'm going to give them bad individual advice in some sense in the sense that i'm going to recommend that they do things that ultimately wind up being detrimental to their team i hope and I, I believe quite strongly that on net, if people were to follow all of my advice, their teams would be better. Does that mean that they're also not going to do things that are extremely detrimental and damaging? A absolutely, they will. Like there's 100% takes that are like embarrassingly bad, some of which I would make the same take again. I think it was just random chance. Some of which I'm like, no, actually my process was off there and I would change it. But we're all going to make mistakes of process. Our process is going to lead us off course. I think that you need to have enough faith in your audience and like if it tilts you relentlessly that people are like oh this guy got this take wrong like i'm gonna unfollow him it's like whatever i don't really want those followers like honestly it makes my experience worse when i have like followers that i think are just total dummies and don't get it i spend more time in the discord because i can actually have an intelligent conversation with people in the discord that like they're not expecting us be able to be fortune tellers they're not living in the moment reactionary to every single hit and miss in the moment that it looks like a hit, even though three weeks later, that's actually a miss. Like, yeah. I, I just don't want to be associated with people that would view it like that anyways. So I don't give a shit about fantasy receipts. Pull my receipts. I have plenty of dumb shit wrong. I've, I have enough confidence in my process that the people who uh, back me as an analyst won't really care if my receipts get pulled that show my embarrassing takes. I think they're probably aware of my embarrassing takes. They probably stare at them on their teams every day. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I think that it's lame that people care so much about fantasy receipts, yeah. whatever. I mean, people have the right to react in any way that they react. I'm not going to say that they don't have the right to. That's totally yeah. fine. I personally could not give less of a shit about fantasy receipts, and I welcome them to pull my receipts. I hope that they pull more of my receipts than the people who get legitimately upset about it, because like legitimately upsetting people is like not great. Would I ever run the account? No, I have things to fucking do with my life. Um, but like the fact that it exists is not like like making me sad. That, that's my next point. Actually, is I think that if somebody wants to run a fantasy receipts site or account or whatever it's called, I could not care less. I don't think it's a detriment to the industry. I don't think it's a, I don't know. I don't think it's anything. I think it's whatever. But what I, I will say. It's, ruining, it's not ruining the industry. Come on. Yeah, somebody said it's ruining the industry today. And I called them soft and a bunch of people commented about how that's not okay. Whatever. The point that I'm making now is that the person or people running the fantasy receipts account have to realize that they're basically useless. Like if you want to be in this space as a community, in the community space, as a creator that are helping people win fantasy leagues, pulling other people's receipts is like the most monkey thing you could do. A monkey can pull bad receipts. <laughs> an actual content creator does comes up with new and unique ways to view fantasy football and help people win fantasy leagues. That's what content creators do. And I think that's where some of my like annoyance with it comes from. Again, couldn't care less if people want to pull my bad takes. I know what they all are. I, I made them. Yeah. My process led me to this take. I stand by it. I'll do the same take again next year. Just wait. It's going to happen. But where the annoyance comes in is these – and uh, Frank, uh, am I am I right or however you say his last name? Am I right? Am I, I don't know. Right. My dude, my dude Frank – who I famously have yeah, your sparring partner and uh, friendship with. He was pretty upset at this fantasy receipt site. And, and he was like, well, they, they don't even have like, uh, like there, there's no skin in the game for them. I'm like, yeah, no, their skin in the game is, is nothing. They're, they're completely <laughs> useless and they're uncreative and they have nothing to bring to the world. Yeah, so like, I don't follow them and I never would. I have no interest. They provide no them. value. But uh, yeah, it's just like it's super cowardly to pull somebody else's receipt when you have none of your own. Like that's no, just, when you're anonymous. When you're anonymous, like I, I just talk, can't talk about soft. I mean, they're they're the ultimate softies here. Like oh, they're sure. they're like acting all brash. Like oh, you guys can't take the heat. It's like you're hiding behind an anonymous account yeah. to make fun of people for takes that were proven wrong after the fact. Like <laughs> obviously, this person is a total loser. Um, and I have no problem calling them a total loser. That's why I just laugh. Like yes, like if you're running the fantasy receipts account and you're listening to this, you are a loser. Like a capital <laughs> L loser. I don't yeah. care. You can pull my receipts, but you're a total loser. I mean. Oh. The one thing that I will say about the fantasy receipts account, like I just wish that they would actually get it accurate. Like for the record, like I have a lot of available receipts. Like I, I literally said that the answer to Miami's Dolphins backfield was anybody but Moster. That was obviously very wrong. Uh, I said that Tua Tungavailoa is one of the most overrated assets in Dynasty, which I still believe, but at a very much inflated price that proves that he was not in fact one of the most overrated assets in Dynasty. Uh, I, I said that... Uh, um, I had Tyree Kill as one of my worst picks of the round two, three turn. Him and Chubb, actually, I thought were the two worst <laughs> picks around two, three turn. They, they were actually the two best picks around two, three turn. Like, I have a lot of stuff that I got embarrassingly wrong. Uh, the one that they chose to take was that, was like, I put it was about Penny versus Walker. That was my first one that got in there. And I was like, 
is either running back going to be worth starting while they're both healthy? No, which they, they weren't actually. Uh, and then I was like, are they, is either one going to catch a lot of passes? No. And like, they didn't actually. And then I said, is, are the Seahawks going to be a good offense that scores a lot of touchdowns? No. And they are actually. So that that's one for three they got right. And then I was like, who's more likely um, to be the workhorse, Walker or Penny? And I was like, it's Walker. And I mean, I got lucky in the sense Penny got hurt, but like, they were dunking on all these Walker tweets and they, they chose my one that said draft Walker and not Penny, which like I would say I mostly just got lucky on, but the take was actively correct. Um, so I, I just think that they should try harder and find my actually bad takes. That, that'd be my only piece of criticism that, and yeah. they should stop like spending their life digging up tweets from others, hiding behind an honest account, like a total loser. But I also think that the people who are like actively stoking them by being like, how can they do this? It's like so lame. I, I don't care. Um, pull my receipts, fantasy receipts. Yeah, their their first take they pulled on I me. Mean, I don't even remember what it was, and it was it, like it wasn't even a bad take. It was like this wasn't even a miss, really. Like it was it was a harder, and it was like do better. Like pull my Jalen Waddle take. Like that's a brutal take. I know that one, and know. then they did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was really weird. Anyways, yeah, good old John Ross. The the other thing I want to just say is that they think they're like proving accountability here. Right, and this is like the furthest thing from accountability. <laughs> they have no you accountability to judge an analyst based on a one-off take at a point in time when you don't even know what their actual analysis was at the point in time that matters. Then you're just not getting a full picture. And <laughs> on a singular take, like we give takes on like 150 players, and you're picking out the one bad take. Not, not that there's only one. There's more, but like you're picking out a singular bad take and saying, "Haha, look at this idiot." accountability nerd. <laughs> it's like no accountability is hey here's all the players i liked and i got these ones wrong i got six of my 57 players that i thought were really good wrong and that's my accountability that's true accountability a singular take is not true accountability it's nothing you're just making fun of the person or or the or the take whatever uh from an anonymous account that has no talent i'm sorry i'm, I'm just are, are we get, are we getting soft now are we triggered Am I triggered? No, I think triggered. are we are we triggered? It sounds like we're getting soft. No, yeah. I think it's just uh, I think it's just funny um, the fantasy receipts account, and I do enjoy how worked up people get about it. I mean, I do and I don't. Like I, I don't know if it's like impacting people's mental health negatively. Like that's a bummer, and it and like whatever impact it's creating negatively outweighs whatever impact it's creating positively because it has no impact that's positive. Um, <laughs> so there's so, no like, positive impact. From right, it. There's, there's no positive impact, and clearly there's a negative impact in the sense that people feel negatively impacted. Yeah. Um, so like I would prefer, I guess, like if it didn't exist in that scenario, does it affect my life? No, um, but uh, I don't know. I think it's well, whatever. I think that's one of the biggest things is like empathy is really hard to like feel for people on a daily basis. Like if you can live your life feeling empathetic for everyone else's situation all the time, good for you. I can't. It's like you probably, if you're listening to the podcast, you've probably seen me on Twitter. I don't always care what other people think. And uh, I think that it's like, I don't know. I just, if it's bothering other people, then to me, that's like, hey, you know what? Maybe don't do that. But it doesn't bother me. And I, I do kind of think, like, if if you're bothered by, like, people on the internet saying you're dumb, the internet's going to be a rough place for you. It's not just fantasy receipts. I promise. There's a whole bunch of people out there telling you you're dumb. And yeah. for me, it's like, I don't really care if people tell me that I'm dumb. My thing is I hate it when people tell me that I'm wrong about something that I'm right about. Right, that, that I do. That bothers me a lot. Just don't understand at all what I'm saying. And then they think I'm wrong. And I'm like, listen, you're not understanding the point. Like, yeah. I have 
I, I put out a tweet last week, and it, yeah, I would people mischaracterize my takes and then like yeah. take them out of context, and then they like make a take that was actually good or like average or whatever, make it yeah. seem bad. That actually bothers me. Yeah, like I put out a tweet last week, a short little thread of all these guys in this one Discord. Though, like I didn't care that they think I'm an idiot; they can think I'm an idiot all they want. What I cared about is they were saying things that were false about me. <laughs> Like he's changing the process as we go so that it looks really good. Like, I've never changed the process actually, and that's factually incorrect. And like if you go through and look at people's opinions of you, somebody in, in that particular Discord had a post being like, Remember when DF Bean Counter was pounding the table for Najee Harris once he was drafted in the first round? And I was like, Okay, what? <laughs> you couldn't have got this more wrong. I have never been pounding the table for Najee Harris, other than in 2020 when he was going to be a second-round pick in Dynasty Rookie Drafts. I liked him that. That's when I was pounding the table for him. He went back to school in 2020. He played pretty well at Alabama, I guess. He came out in the draft in the first round. He was my running back three in the class. I had him as a massive sell since he's been in the NFL. And how on earth did you get, I'm pounding the table for Najee? Like, that's the kind of thing that annoys me. Yeah. Like if people you an idiot for pounding the table for Najee Harris, that's one thing. Which I I would be an idiot if I was pounding the table for Najee Harris, and you have every right to call me an idiot for pounding the table for Najee Harris, but I would never do that because he's Najee Harris. He wasn't very good. So like, just come on, get the take right. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Get the take right. Uh, yeah. If if you're gonna if you're gonna pull tweets, we're gonna do that stuff. Just make sure you're being accurate. Make sure you're being accurate. Right. You know, have some accountability, Mister or Mrs. Fantasy Receipts. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I don't know. I used to work in, in politics. I, I was in, I was a student union leader for two years. Like the, the things that people would say about me on social media and in newspapers then like about my actual character and about like who I am as a human were like horrible. I'm like, that stuff was awful for my mental health. Like, like, yeah, like if people are out there that I actually know, or the like, people that interact with me or people that like could interview me are like going in they're like, this person's a terrible person. This person like believes these things, this person does this. Like, yeah, that, that stuff bothers me. It's about like my character's person. If people are like, oh, like that guy was too high on Sky more, like I, I don't care. Like, yeah, I was like, right. Like it doesn't, like I, I'm not like less of a human being because I'm wrong with Sky more. I'm hard on myself with takes. Like, yeah, like when, when I'm like, when I miss something, especially when I miss something that I think I shouldn't have missed, right? Like when I think I actually made a process error or like when there was something that like, I think my process could have led me to and I didn't get there. like. I promise you, like I'm up at night thinking about it. Like I, I am a perfectionist and I want to be able to like, at least from a process level, be able to look back at each take that I make that year and either have it be correct or look back and say, well, I didn't get it right, but I think the process on it was sound. Like when I look back and be like, oh, I think I made a process error on this. Like that really does bother me. But like, it doesn't make me feel like worse as a human. It's just like, no. okay, I got to work harder. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. And, and I, I can't imagine that there's anybody, if there's anybody in the fantasy industry that looks back at the end of the year and they're like, I made zero process errors this year. Like, I think they're probably just not diving hard enough, right? Like, I think oh, yeah. everybody did it somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I think that accountability is good. I just think that, like, accountability should be, like, yeah. Like it, it's just useful accountability, right? Yeah. Here, here were here were my takes. These were good. These were bad. These were bad, but I would make the same thing again. This was bad because I actually made a process error. Whatever. The, the receipt pulling is dumb. Um, still doesn't bother me. But yeah. I also like if you're gonna pull receipts, have have your skin in the game. Like have it be like, you know, you and I are arguing about Sky Moore versus George Pickens. 
We both have a side. Either of us are open to winning or losing. When you're fantasy receipts, you don't have a side. You're literally <laughs> just like shitting on people all the time. And it's super lame. And I just, I can't, like, if you could imagine that you have 24 hours in a day and you could do anything with it, you could be as productive as you want. And the way that you want to spend your productive time is by pulling receipts that help no one. Like, you're helping absolutely no one. Pulling my receipt about Jalen Waddle versus John Ross helps no one. Like, everybody who followed me at the time knew that take. Everybody. I can't imagine anybody didn't see me say Jalen Waddle is the next John. I, I retweeted that after I had already said it once, and it went, like, huge at that point. And that was before the season. And then Miami Dolphins Twitter got a hold of it, and it went, like, I got quoted into oblivion. And the interesting thing about that is it didn't bother me at all because I felt like the process was fairly sound. Uh, I wish I would have had him one spot higher in my rankings. That was mm. my regret, which I never would have drafted him anyway because I didn't have him anywhere near his ADP. Uh, but I did have him in one spot lower than I should have. And that was a regret. And that was my process error. And if I had him where I think I should have had him, I still would have been wrong and you would have been <laughs> pulling my receipt on it anyway. And it, does, it like it just... I don't, it doesn't matter. You only have so many hours in a day. Go do something productive with it. Something that helps someone. Something that helps yourself. Yeah, like go go like take a crowbar to Zeke's knees. That would be productive. Go take a crowbar to Zeke's knees. Maybe see if you could get into talk to Jerry Jones's shrink and maybe they could do something with the way his brain works. I'm not sure. That might help. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe you could force a trade of Tony Pollard to I don't know anywhere. I prefer an NFC East team. Yeah, like, well, I don't really want him in Philly because I want Miles him in Philly. All right, finally, I would love Miles Sanders to die. <laughs> just why? Just, what do you mean? Because uh, I actually like Miles Sanders, but I think that I think that you've been too high off the Miles Sanders supply this year. We need we need that to get reined in. <laughs> you you were you your seat. At least CEH is dead. That's I appreciate that. So you can have Miles Sanders at least now. Yeah, CEH is like you know still top twenty four running back. You're you're out here touting the top twenty four running backs like it's a thing, and then you're like ah CEH sucks. Like he scored as many points as Tony Pollard does. Who who do you better to score more points the rest of the season here, Mister Pollard or Mister Edward Solaire? <laughs> rest of the season, like as of today, when Zeke is back healthy, probably yeah. Clyde Edward Solaire. Because Tony Pollard only scores 10 points a game with Zeke's healthy. I will all send this to fantasy receipts at the end of the season. I think we should send all of our content to fantasy receipts from now on, (laughs) specifically this episode. I think that this is the the one episode we need to submit. Yeah. Okay. I think we had a lot of really uh, receipt pulling ish takes in this episode. So I look look forward to fantasy receipts pulling some James Cook receipts. (laughs) The, The other thing that I find, back to fantasy receipts for just a second. They're like, we're oh, enforcing accountability. And they're like, here I, here I thought that we were on in under two hours, but we're back up over 210 now. Pulling random receipts from like an un, like, they're not randomly pulling receipts. They're like pulling individual people's receipts like 80 times. And they're like, oh, we better mix it up. Let's get uh, that guy in here. And then they pull like one of that guys. And then they go back to someone else and pull like 60 of them. I'm I'm being facetious. We're not pulling that many, but, yeah. and then they pull like six at a time. Like they're like, oh, this kid, oh, he got this wrong. Well, let's grab five or six more of them. 
and they post like a whole bunch of the same person at the same time. You know time. what else is like kind of wild? Like, why don't they actually like? They're like small game hunting, right? Like, I feel like they go yeah. for like all of these. Like, they go for all of like the intermediate people. Like, you know, where it's like we're like established enough, people know the names, but like not not like the big. Like, go after like the CBS, like the ESPN people, yeah. right? Like, like Matthew Barry made Zeke a my guy. He's getting outscored by his Tony Pollard. Go after Matthew Barry. Go for my fantasy receipts. Go for Matthew <laughs> Barry. What are you doing? There, really? like, like the whole system just reeks of jealousy to me. It's yeah. like I, I didn't make it in this industry. I tried. I suck. I'm gonna pull other people's receipts so that everybody else knows that all these unworthy analysts uh, are unworthy, and they're all like, you know, fairly moderately small accounts that they're pulling from. It's like yeah. eh, you're probably someone in that range, and you're just <laughs> fucking jealous of these other guys. <laughs> Or you came up at the same time. Like this is somebody that got in the industry like two years ago. Oh, clearly. Like, oh, these guys blew up and I didn't. And they're like nobody's. And they're like, ah, we're gonna pull their receipts. Yeah, like it's all the people that came up like the same time that like I came up. So I, yeah. I for sure know it's like somebody in the same circle or somebody who came up like a little bit earlier that was like, oh, these and, people passed me by. Yeah, that's exactly what it, it's brutal. <laughs> it's it's just embarrassing. And so- I, fantasy receipts. I feel bad for you. I'm trying to feel empathy for you right now because you're sorry for really fantasy receipts. Sad existence, and I. I it's better. It gets better. I promise. Just put in the work, get some good takes out there, and it's going to be fine. And anyway, do you want to talk about anything else? Are we done? No, I want to get out of here. Like Matt, been it's been this. two hours and 12 minutes. Jacob sorry, won't stop Matt. talking. Every time we're done, he adds another topic. So I'm going to cut it off now. And this is it. This is the show, everyone. Come back next week. We'll talk about uh, some more fun things. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>